0: What is up, everybody? And welcome to the third official episode of the Nate Night Talks podcast. Thank you so much, as always, to everybody on Clubhouse who has continued to support the rooms. Without you, this podcast wouldn't be in existence, so here's to you. Um, today, episode three, have my first in-studio interview, which I am incredibly excited about. We've uh, spent quite a bit of time putting together this uh, arrangement and, uh, and making sure angles and everything were good. So hopefully it all turns out good. If not, eh, what are you going to do? Um, my guest today is uh, Shiva Meuchi. And for those of you who are on Clubhouse, you may be familiar with him. He's an incredibly fascinating human who's done an insane amount of research into all things physics, quantum physics, and in particular, Nikola Tesla and the ether. And so there is a lot of things that we're going to dive into today, which are going to be very fascinating and hopefully mentally stimulating for all of you. So without further ado, as always, I'm Nate. It's late. Let's talk. How
1: you doing, Shiva? Doing good, man. Good Uh, to see you. Great to be here. Really enjoyed uh, this whole setup process, actually. It's been a lot of fun.
0: It has been fun. I I feel underdressed. (laughs) Well, I feel overdressed, so there we go. I think there's a happy median somewhere in between that uh, maybe we just didn't find.
1: No, I know. I think it's perfect. I think it's the 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 middle. You know, we got yin and yang going on here. You know, actually,
0: it. we do. Uh, the color scheme actually works
1: perfectly. Yeah, no, this is this is perfect for, for my you know whole idiom. I think. So,
0: so I've seen some videos uh, that you've you've put out uh, places that you've you've spoke, and you dress in a very similar fashion. So is this is this the the branding, the imaging, or
1: just your vibe in general? Actually, it's kind of my vibe in general, but specifically, I like to have an edutainment type of uh, thing, and so uh, there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, steampunk is the yeah, thing. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's it is a steampunk vibe, and so I, I try to sort of live that steampunk live the steampunk dream uh bringing it and and actually that's part of what the book's about that's part of what uh what i'm doing here is i'm actually creating a a new version of the future here i'm gonna gonna bring back the ether and uh, and everybody who who joins me on this path they're gonna be part of it we're gonna have a different future and steampunk of course.
0: Of I mean, course. Because it's, you know, no no dystopian future is is right without it. Uh, if we don't have our steampunk, then then none of the the sci-fi novels or, or books are ever, ever going to make any sense.
1: Right. Um, Isn't that, wouldn't it be any fun? No, I mean, it wouldn't.
0: And you guys can't see his boots, but his boots are on point. And, uh, and, uh, we'll have to show them off at some point. I'll, yeah, I'll stand up and, and yeah. we'll do show and tell. A little table a little, dance. Right. Little know, table just, t- a little table dance. will get up there and just uh, <laughs> just from, like, the knee down yes. just, just show them off. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm super grateful that you made the drive, for one, because you came from Sacramento uh, all the way down to L.A. just to do this. Um, so let that be a, uh, a standard set for all of you in the future. Uh, make the trip so That's we don't right. have to do these things remotely. You know, it's way better. Way better. Yeah, um, you know, connection.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It really is.
0: <laughs> <dull>. it is. <laughs> like a, yeah, it is. Uh, a lot more, God, I think... Uh, Gets translated correctly, it gets conveyed, and uh, and the riffing is just so much so much easier.
1: The uh, the delay on that's something we talked about actually in a, in a group of uh, people that talk about neuroscience and things like that is just the the difference in human connection that we might be kind of missing out on with all mm-hmm. this digital stuff. That is true, uh, and I think the symptoms of of that
0: decline on society uh, are seen at an exponential rate in the
1: past five to ten years. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I think that's why Clubhouse is a lot of fun because uh, there's a, At least we're getting each other's voices. Yes. You know, we're getting a little bit of that connection. Yes, you know? so.
0: and that is uh, for for those of you uh, who are not on Clubhouse and who are just uh, listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube. That is where uh, I met Shiva. Was actually in, in my Clubhouse rooms on there, and uh, he had. anytime he came up on stage, uh, he had he had some shit to say. I'll just put it that way, and uh, and it was always incredibly fascinating, incredibly well researched, um, and very thought provoking, and some would say controversial, depending on uh, how uh,
1: how, like, mainstream yeah, how mainstream you. are. Yeah, how mainstream? Exactly. Thank you, thank you for for pointing out my uh, controversial nature. I, well, I, I, I pride myself. Yeah, <laughs> that's
0: the that's the thing. Oh man, that these definitions piss me off so much. Like I hate the fact that when talking about. Psychedelics, UFOs, mm-hmm. uh, alter alternative views on history, which are completely backed by facts. You know, yeah. one of the things, either that this would be called alternative science or alternative something, versus just no an explanation or or, or the facts. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's so hard to battle mainstream uh, in in general. The narratives that are put out are so ingrained in academia and the scientific community. They are worse than I would say, like the most dogmatic. You know. Southern Baptist preachers. <laughs> really? No offense to anybody, but like, you know, someone who's firm. Okay. In belief. Let's say
1: snake handlers, because even the dogmatic yeah. Baptist preachers are not, not real friendly with the snake. handlers. that's true. That's true. Even, <laughs> they, even
0: they shun the snake handlers. And that's what science uh, by and large has become. And I know we're all fans of and familiar with the expression that, you know, science progresses one funeral at a time. Max uh, Planck. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and it is that case. Like, because mm-hmm. these, these guys who stake their claims, stake their career, on a, on a particular discovery or uh, idea hypothesis theory whatever it is uh, and that became accepted as the norm uh, whenever new information comes a younger scientist a person with a, a different you know idea that pokes complete holes in it and shows the flaws they're silenced they're they're said they're called crazy they're relegated to the fringe until that person dies and then suddenly the rest of the scientific community is like well actually, there is something there. Uh, yeah. It's the most unscientific thing ever. That's it, the crazy
1: part. It's strange. It's strange how much. Here's the thing. It's like they're more susceptible to superstitious behaviors because they believe they're not superstitious. Yeah. It's it's it literally makes them more superstitious and more. They have, in other words, you can be religious without have, believing in God, without believing in spirit. Mm. You can behave in a way that is the way that you handle information is dogmatic. In yeah. other words, whenever whenever people dislike religion, I don't think it's because they dislike spirituality or or even the idea of god a lot of times. It's because they dislike that dogmatic sort of behavior. If yeah. we can kind of separate that out and say, yeah, anybody can can get into that and say, "Oh, yeah. this is my group that believes this thing and, you know, and, and I'm going to defend it." And they just don't they don't really recognize what they're doing. It's it's unfortunate, but hey, you know I've been battling it for years, and now I've kind of uh, you know just sort of taken on the taken on the battle. I know I'm gonna I'm gonna face it, and I'm ready. I'm ready for the battle. <laughs> well, we need people
0: like you. Uh, I mean, it, it's incredibly important. Without without the renegades, uh, no progress would ever be made. Nothing would be challenged. Uh, and it's just like, you know, what we have going on in the world right now with COVID, with everything like if you don't challenge the narrative, like if you don't challenge, you know, scientific data with more scientific data, um, then, you know, we're we're all sheep and we're all going to be victims to, you know, disinformation or just mm-hmm. in the very least false information that, you know, has just not been checked.
1: Yeah, I think it's a lot of times it's just this the reliance upon authority in other words there's this this appeal but they don't recognize here is science yeah you do have to have sort of this appeal to authority structure because you can't you can't go and and do every test yourself yourself you can't Perform every experiment humanity has ever performed. You can't do that, and so yeah. there's a level of faith that's kind of required to progress. Yeah, and then there's a fundamental vulnerability that you have to be aware of, and that's what we've lost. Yeah, that fundamental awareness of that vulnerability that you have to build upon. You have to you have to believe they're giants to stand on their shoulders. Yes, and then once you do that, if, what if the giant falls?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're going with them, and so what's well, the hubris too? It's just uh, that's just what plagues I think humanity in, in many regards. Uh, is, is just our hubris and our, our arrogance um, and pride uh, pride, ego whatever you want to call it is that um, and as you know, you know in, in the Nate Night Talks room is one of the things we always talk about is that ultimately I don't know shit like I've done I've done tons of research I've experienced things firsthand. I've done everything I can mm-hmm. to look into these particular subjects you know we talk about in there but ultimately I don't know and I'm happy to admit that because mm-hmm. anybody who claims they do is fucking lying to you like yeah. we just don't. Like we we're trying to figure it out, and we're and some people are by far closer yeah, than others. You know, to 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 figuring it out. But it's it's the first step, I think, towards knowledge is admitting that you don't know anything.
1: Mm-hmm. It's the people
0: who like who who I think are the most intelligent people, the ones like I I don't know. I'm just trying to learn. Like I don't think I have it all figured together. That's why I'm continuing
1: to take in information, new information. Here's the thing: there is sort of th- uh, that brings up something that's kind of been an issue for me is that. A lot of people who claim, oh, scientists—they're they're, ultimately—that's yes, they of course they agree with that, and every scientist is—they're they're ready and willing and able. I, but here's the here's the issue that people don't recognize: arrogance by proxy. Mm-hmm. In other words, oh, this isn't me speaking; it's my group, and they're the ones who are super powerful and the best, and you better never ever question them, or there's something wrong with you. But it's not me; I'm yeah. not I'm not the one representing this information, yeah. and that's what happens whenever you're yeah. dealing with anything that's out of the mainstream. Their appeal to consensus is this arrogance by proxy they take on the label of i'm part of science science is perfectly perfect perfectness and but not me yeah it's not i'm not claiming to be yeah and, but the thing is they still get to be arrogant yeah they yeah. just put the label of this group on themselves yeah. Yeah. and that's the that's the thing that kind of I, that's what kind of screws up science it's creative it's a, it's a
0: creative uh Plausible deniability of uh, of egotism, I guess, uh, it's, it's put on the uh, the group itself, right, uh, and not on the individual. But the individuals embody it far more uh, mm-hmm. in in many regards. Um, well, so I guess explain to the audience, and uh, and we're going to be very careful tonight of uh, of a few things. And one is that a lot of the stuff that Shiva is going to be talking to you tonight, uh, to me as well, about tonight, um, and, and teaching me, uh, is going to have to do with a lot of. High level concepts, a lot of things that have to do with physics and quantum physics and ether physics and uh, Mm -hmm. everything, everything therein. And obviously, yes, of course, we're going to touch on UFOs and psychedelics, consciousness, um, you know, time, uh, everything therein. But we're going to do our best to make sure that uh, these things are presented in a way that uh, is definitely digestible uh, to, let's say, the average Joe, kind of like me. Because uh, you know, Shiva's devoted much of his life uh, to, to researching this stuff. And so uh, we had a talk right beforehand just to make sure that these uh, these, these concepts are going to be more digestible. Yep. Um, uh, He's going
1: to stop me if I start going too deep. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll get back up to a, a level that makes more sense.
0: Yes. And, uh, and, and so bear with us uh, as we try to unpack a lot of uh, very confusing and difficult to grasp concepts, but uh, I, I have full confidence and faith that we will. We're gonna uh, nail it. Yeah, we're gonna nail this. We'll kill right. this shit. <laughs> Episode three, Tesla.
1: Three. That's nine. right. That's right. Shit. No all right. Coincidence, that was not that? A coincidence. No coincidence. At all? That was
0: not deliberate. That that was in the moment. Right now, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Yeah, I was like, hold on. A second. There's something here. Um, so I guess. Uh, one of the best things to do, first and foremost, before we fully dive into these things, is give people a little bit of a backstory about you, um, how you got into this field in general, what led mm-hmm. you to this research, um, and, and everything therein. Just so, you know, credibility, credentials, research, all that stuff at the beginning is laid out before we dive into uh, insanity.
1: Yes. So, okay. Um by training um i'm a software engineer all right so i spent a decade as a software engineer so that would be um you know where i have this crossover of i've always had an interest in in ai and uh and i was actually raised in a machine shop uh you well, know mm. Partially between a, a farm and a machine shop, so uh, that, that's where I kind of got my physical intuitions loading into like the the logic and you know understanding how to do things that basically basically programming is a lot like uh, advanced mathematics. Uh, there's a, a, a huge amount of um, crossover between the two because of the way that everything you know works with them. You're, you're basically doing sort of the same thing. Uh, I, I kind of see um, mathematicians as like old school programmers, mm-hmm. um, but uh, mm-hmm. so. So that's kind of what, where my professional training went, and then from there I got involved in uh, neuroscience because it, there's always been this um, background of of attempting to understand the way that the human mind works, the way that um, you know, I, like as I said, I'm really interested in developing AI. Uh, that's that's been a uh, kind of a passion since I first got into programming, but it's been ten years since I was doing uh, professional programming. So it was 10 years of doing it. And then it's been 10 years since then. Uh, because then I, I, uh, I, um, went through a neuroscience, uh, course, which I I audited a uh, neuroscience course because I wanted to, I wanted to dig into these things. And and the funny thing is, is I, I ended up doing a lot more, um, autodidact kind of things. In other words, I I did a lot of Mm self-teaching and, uh, and, and that's why I, I, some of the greats of the 19th century physics, like uh, Faraday, for instance, he was a, um, you find that some of these people who have a passion for learning sometimes are the ones who uncover uh, new insights for the people to then, you know, get in there and, and look at it and say, oh yeah, that is right. And that's, that's where, by the way, Faraday is, is where, Maxwell got his ideas for, uh, electromagnetism and Maxwell is a, basically he's the father of electromagnetism. We use, uh, Maxwell's equations, uh, still today as like the basis for understanding the way that electromagnetism works and electromagnetism is visible light and all of the other, this kind of rays and that kind of rays, X rays, you know, gamma rays, all of it on the spectrum. So, um, so how did I get here? Uh, was really kind of a weird, um, set of, Circumstances, I suppose. I, um so so here i in the background i was uh, i've got this this desire for understanding the way the world works way way the universe works i was huge you know sci-fi nerd growing up um you know loved star trek and you know and all those things that they were talking about it does this it does that i'm like well well okay is that is that supposed to be real science that sounds like magic sounds sounds like nonsense And and so i you know i had this sort of skeptical bent and uh and it eventually kind of reached a crescendo as I, as I was you know digging in personally over the years because as i'm programming, you know what do I do in my personal time? I just spent all of my time researching science you know so researching physics I you hear know that yep, you yeah go. exactly so you, you you know you get you get you get kind of obsessive about something and that that's i wanted to I wanted to know how reality works yep. so Uh, and I started running into these things. It's like, well, that sounds like magic. And I mean, you know, and at the same time, I'm kind of recovering from this fundamentalist, um, religious upbringing where I, where, you know, you go through this process where you realize your parents really didn't know what they were talking about. And, but at the same time, you, if you go too far, you kind of just are, you're just being anti, you yeah, know, and yeah, you're yeah. not, and then it's the same thing. Yeah. And, and so I, and your I kids eventually are gonna be anti you, right? It's exactly. going yeah, to go the, the full, they'll be right back where your parents were. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And so eventually I, you know, I, I, I started out kind of rejecting religion, then said, well, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm, am I throwing out the baby with the bathwater? And, uh, and so, you know, all of these things are kind of happening at the same time. And But what I recognized is this dogmatic, religious sort of behavior happening just upon asking the wrong questions. Mm. Now, I grew up asking the wrong questions. That's what kind of made me not be part of this. What made me sort of black sheep of the family mm. is that I started very, very young. They would get very, very upset about the questions that I would ask. There were like a... I don't know they saw it as disrespectful or uh, what have you and and so I would I'd face a lot of trouble for the questions that I asked. Yeah. And I and that sort of keyed me into something as I was growing up. And then here I was asking certain types of questions that would get me viciously attacked about physics. It's like I'm just—I'm literally just asking a question here. I—I mm-hmm. I just want to know, and you're attacking me. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, That—that's a sign. That, yeah, that, exactly. That shows
0: exactly where where their heads are at. And uh, you know, I—I I want to point out something because you said something that uh, is is very important for for people just to know in general. Um, and I believe you're talking about Maxwell uh, the same, who kind of self-taught himself some stuff early on. Specifically,
1: it was Faraday
0: who was, Faraday. Who, who, who Faraday. was the most,
1: and he's the one who inspired Maxwell.
0: Okay, sorry. Uh, Faraday who did it. Um, because people just need to grasp the idea that the, the label of like a degree uh, is such nonsense. Some of the most pro- prolific people in history dropped mm-hmm. out of college. Uh, or they never went to to school in general. Like there is a dogmatic structure within education that uh, indoctrinates people, uh, and and ultimately, I, I I believe, and I want to get conspiratorial here, but uh, is deliberate uh, and and keeping certain things a secret or keeping people more cogs in the machine. But what you did, as far as you know, the the, the teaching yourself this stuff because it was a passion because you wanted to genuinely learn, and you were just doing the research, yep. and therefore you you're not you're not learning through the lens of a, a teacher. They're telling you how to interpret data. They're telling mm-hmm. you what this means. But if you don't do that, and you're actually just taking it in, and you're doing the research yourself, you're free of all that stigma. You're, you're free of all that narrative. And you can look exactly. at something perhaps and make an insane breakthrough. And I learned the most in life I ever did when I got expelled. And my parents forced me to teach myself the rest of whatever, my sixth grade year, seventh grade year, whatever it was. Um, and and before I wasn't getting good grades, but I was so happy to be expelled from the school as a private school. <laughs> and I did everything I could. Like, they wouldn't hear me. Like, I was yeah. manically depressed. I was a cutter. I was all these things when I was younger. And in addition, you know, like smoking weed and drinking, you know, I think I told you when I was like 10, right. um, anything I could do to to cry out for help or lash out. And still, they they kept me in this private school. So I was like, well... I have a way out (laughs) and and it's not going to be pretty, but I have, I have power to do it. And Mm -hmm. to this day is one of the best days in my entire life. As far as realizing that I truly do have the power, Mm -hmm. there's consequences to it, but I have the power to change anything in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not a victim of anybody else's circumstances. And I was at age, you know, 11 at the time to learn that. Um, but I had to teach myself school for the rest of that year and turn in the homework, no teacher, no anything. And I learned more. And that year, I learned enough because I was also held back twice. It's a long story. But I learned enough that year, uh, the last half of that year, teaching myself to skip the next grade and then go back to like a public school and uh, the grade mm-hmm. that I was supposed to be in because of that. Because I was so happy. I was willing to learn. I was free from this thing. Like the the, the desire was there. And the same thing uh, as you're saying with this, the same thing with my older brother who is a computer science major. And then went into uh, into biotech because he looked at medicine, he looked at the human body in a completely different way that wasn't programmed uh, through through medical school. Yep. And he believed the body was a computer, and then he could program it accordingly. And he's now has five biotech companies. Was given thirty million dollars from the Canadian government to make a vaccine. Like <laughs> he's he's doing insane shit, and they mocked him. In the beginning, the, the scientific community, the biotech community, for his approach, like that, that's not how things work. That's not. Yep. And now he travels the world and he speaks to triple PhDs at like Cambridge and Harvard and Caltech and MIT, and these guys listen to him, and he has a bachelor's. And so, but he, yep. he it's just
1: <laughs> kind of in, I, I, except for the I, I didn't make money off of it, but I at least do have some people with the PhDs and things like that that are actually listening to me.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah and I, I do want to dive into that, but it's just good for for people to know because sometimes like if uh, if someone doesn't have like their their phd or their doctorate in something like they're not taken seriously where it's the exact opposite like if you're interested in something and you've dedicated your life or time to mm-hmm. researching it heavily to reading the same books to maybe even reading more books uh, and from different angles, that mm-hmm. those are the people who change the world, like who come up with the new novel concepts. They're the ones who break the mold, and uh, and so it's just a good thing to remember because sometimes people get hung up on those type of things, mm-hmm. uh, like oh, so you weren't actually a neuroscientist, you didn't actually like right, okay. <laughs> but I can talk circles around a neuroscientist, like yep. that type of thing. And so I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think it's just a it's a good point to to be made because people just need to realize that some of the most you know. Revolutionary people in, in various fields uh, did not go any type of a traditional route uh, yeah. by any means. Or, well, some of
1: the greats uh, of science, the you know the, the the initial scientists who built up this uh, technological society were, uh, you know, almost invariably had at least some level of being a self-taught person. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny that you brought up the uh, the self-teaching. I, I completely forgot to, to mention, because I guess I just don't find it all that relevant usually, but that uh, I was homeschooled for a portion of my, um, mm-hmm. like, pr- you know, prior to, uh, well, even part of high school. and mm-hmm. uh, And the funny thing is, even going back far enough, it was my parents, for some reason, moved down from Chicago to Memphis area. And I think it was, It was Mississippi. Yes, I think it was. I was the case that made it legal to um, homeschool in Mississippi uh, because of the fact that they they brought my mother up on charges of contributing to the delinquency of a minor for homeschooling me. And uh, then they tested me and I was off the charts. And so then it just, you know, the, the, uh, so I was the case that made it legal. Uh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. The fun fact for you. Yep. Yep. Hey. Yeah. So, uh, so that was, yeah, that was a, a I, unfortunately though, I, I don't, I don't t- completely believe in uh, homeschool unless you have a, yeah. somebody who's really dedicated yeah, yeah, I mean, it takes a tremendous amount yeah. of dedication yeah. uh, and unfortunately it, it meant that I had to learn how to teach myself from a very early age yeah. and and, and I, I suffered a tremendous amount of difficulty because of that yeah. and then went into regular school where I had to pick up all these habits that are part of like, paper writing mm. and things like that for to finish out high school but I, I was also way ahead on all of these other topics that I, I was interested in which uh, uh, of course was science that was the thing that you know yeah. it's like I, I didn't have to um, you know I, I didn't have to, to try hard with science it was something that, that came naturally to me as a matter of fact I was uh, I was a little bit of a uh, one of those weirdos I think I probably uh, walked a little funny when I was younger <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so
0: funny I, I guess I mean it's a great topic anyway uh, uh, because it, it, I think it is kind of uh, important and maybe more relevant uh, going forward as a lockdown takes place because of home teaching and things like that, kids not going to school. But I was homeschooled grade one through three, and I didn't learn shit because my dad was a pilot. He was gone. My mm-hmm. mom was a horse instructor. She was gone. Mm-hmm. No one was there teaching us anything. I was there with my siblings. It was Lord of the Fly style uh, teaching ourselves, and therefore we didn't learn shit. I was just trying to not get beat up. And so they uh, then put me into a private school after the third, my third grade of, uh, uh, or third year of homeschool. And they were like, Your kid's an idiot. Uh, we're holding him back. He's doing third grade over. And I was like, Oh, sweet. This feels nice. And so I went there, did third grade the private school. And then, uh, and that was, you know, private school where corporal punishment, spanking, all of that stuff. So I was like inundated with uh, religious authoritativism. Authoritativism?
1: It sounded good to yeah. me. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. I might have just, I that just that made way. that up. Um, authoritarian maybe yeah. uh but, but we're on the same on the same page here man it was oh, the yeah. the name of the the high school i went to southern baptist educational center yeah <laughs>
0: yeah the scars run deep <laughs> Uh, and so I dealt with that that year, got held back. So I already felt like an idiot and I was disciplined, uh, you know, profusely because I was always acting out the next year they put me in a, a public school. And so I was already smart enough just from a private school education to skip fourth grade, go back in the fifth grade I was supposed to be in. Uh, and then after fifth grade in a public school, they put me back in the private school retested. They're like, "No, nah, no, nah, he's an idiot. We're holding him back again. So I did fifth grade all over again at the private school, stayed through sixth. And by that time, you know, it was, uh, I was at my end. I, you know, started drinking and smoking weed at the age of ten. I was like a cutter. I was like manically depressed. I was like crying out. I was like, "Just get me out of here!" And no one would. And so that was the day that uh, you know, I, as a culmination of many things. Got me expelled. But uh, but nonetheless, when that happened, it was you know, like I said, one of the happiest days of my life and uh, and the yeah. most empowering days of my life. And uh, and I learned more in that last half year than I did, I think, probably in all years of education prior to that. And so it's it's funny because we have a similar. I think, in many ways, uh, a similar backstory.
1: Um, There's definitely some crossover, man, because, like, the whole corporal punishment... I mean, the, the thing is, we went the two different ways. I went, like super robotic uh absolutely bent my the the entirety of my being to pleasing my parents mm. uh and mm. uh, and so that made me where you know I was I was a 45 year old man by the time I was 18 uh, you know it was uh, I was super hyper ultra you know straight line on everything and it but it but I the funny thing was uh, I ended up kind of later on realizing I was just never going to achieve this absurd level of perfectionism that I was attempting to achieve. And yeah. it was making me very unhappy. So, yeah, we, we both had the same kind of stressors and things. And then <laughs> In just... Different
0: ways. Right, right. With the, I went the rebellious ways. route, uh, <laughs> right. to say the least. But, uh, but yeah, nonetheless, it, it, I think those things, you know, and as I'm sure you are, are incredibly grateful for them today because they molded yeah. you into the person you are. And so... You know we always have to have that perspective uh, and same thing you know with with parents you know I love my parents very much and you you know that they did the best they could with what they knew at the time and right. they were doing what they thought was right and and that's you know really I think all you could ask for from from parents um, just means there might be some emotional things that need to be cleaned up and addressed later in life for a long period of time hence you know my psychedelic use um, uh, but uh, but nonetheless, so let, let's let's bring it back then just so uh, In general, your your past comes from software engineering for over a decade, Uh, then you dove into neuroscience, but your whole life though you're always fascinated with science fiction. Same as
1: me, and that's, specifically yeah. science, man. I was just devouring science from the earliest age, and uh, and that's where I, you know, asking too many of the wrong questions, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. was asking too many questions, and uh, and that's what got me in trouble with uh, with my organized religion, yeah. and uh, and then that's what got me in trouble specifically with uh, with physics. And yeah, it was, uh, is asking the wrong questions.
0: Funny how both of them are the same. Isn't yeah, it? the reactions from both. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Um, So when did you then start diving into the ether? Because that's what we're really going to be. And I I think before we go uh, deep into any of this stuff, we just need to explain exactly what the ether is. Give the backstory on that for people who aren't familiar with it, um, with Tesla. You know, and how that relates to Einstein and and Newton, and uh, and you know the the variations of interpretations and the similarities ultimately between these things that people might not be aware of, as far as them echoing what Tesla said, or at least Einstein in
1: particular. See, yeah, that's the thing. So, uh, generally, when ever, ever, anyone hears about ether, they well, they've heard about heard about through comic book movies and things like that. Man, even it's called Ethernet, the you know the yeah. cables that, that connect things. Yeah, uh, it, it comes from the concept that light has to be Moving through something, if it's something that's moving. In mm. other words, like so, when you have something that's waving, right? So we figured out light's a wave, and we, that, this was back uh, in I think was it Christian Hugens, or uh, I think he was one of the first ones to do. It's mostly not known as Young's double slit experiment, where they just they he figured out that light was a wave and pretty much proved it to the academic community uh, during that period, and, and that may have been. 18th century uh, don't quote me on that but uh point is we figure out something's waving well a wave is not like if you think that a wave out there in the ocean can exist without water you're crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah and and so that's where they thought okay well if light's a wave something's waving because a wave is an action it's not mm-hmm. something that can be mm-hmm. there on its own now you know, here's the thing that's, that's where the idea of the ether comes from and then there was an experiment that everybody knows about, called the Michelson-Morley experiment, eighteen eighty-seven, uh, and and subsequently, nineteen oh five is when. Uh, what Einstein, was that experiment? It was called the Michelson-Morley experiment. Was an experiment where basically, Michelson um, wanted to determine how fast our solar system was traveling through the galaxy. And, uh, and so they knew for sure that the ether is there in some way or another. And there was two different ways you could look at it. Either the ether is this kind of like a, a gel or something that's like mm-hmm. kind of a hard grid that you can somehow move through. Or it's a fluid that's, you know, like, like the ocean. Mm. And, uh, and so he went with the idea that it was like kind of this gel. And though nobody was absolutely certain at that time. Uh, you know, what, it was just you pick one and, and make an experiment and see how it comes out and his experiment comes out null because what he was doing is he's like okay if i make light race upstream and back downstream like if you say you had a swimmer they had to swim uh, he, he always swims one speed well, that's what a wave does mm-hmm. right and so if i have him go up and back across a river that's flowing and have him uh go across and back the those two swimmers are going to end up returning at a different time mm-hmm. now if the, that is if you're moving if the river is actually flowing there's a current yeah right yeah if there's not then they're gonna you know uh right. they're, they're, same time right yeah so so the the the, the difference there is what the michelson morley experiment was doing is like let's assume that there's ether flowing by us let's make light race ups up and back versus across and see what comes out because there should be a difference that can i can use with all these calculations to determine how fast we're going through you know the uh the, the ether. And it comes, it comes back as, well, theoretically null. I don't want to get into too many, too many details there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't actually null. It actually showed a, uh, and that will be relevant later on. Okay. But, uh, but it was not null. But even assuming that it's completely null, so it gets a, they come back at exactly the same period, and we know that we're moving at least, uh, uh, let's see 33 kilometers per second around or maybe it's only 30 uh, kilometers per second around the sun. That's how how fast the earth is moving. So we have to have gotten at least that reading because they'd figured this out from the shadows and the moons of Jupiter and, you know, some Mm -hmm. neat stuff. Yeah. Um, And so the the, he figured, okay, it's got to be at least that. And they didn't get that. Okay, that wasn't the reading that he ended up getting. Now, there's a whole lot of interpretation stuff, but. He didn't get exactly that number, and then that became this this weird dilemma. It's like, well, then what's going on? Is the is there is the ether surrounding the, the earth and traveling with it? Is it uh you know is it not this gel at, at all? Is it uh, you know or, or are we the center of the universe? Is light ballistic instead of a wave? Is mm-hmm. it like, like these little balls that we shoot at things instead of the wave that we think it is? That were you know they were certain by that to point that it was definitely a wave. Yet here the fact that it wasn't giving them a reading on this experiment was a huge thing in physics at that time. So, that's where where the ether came to and then there's this division point where suddenly we we have these doubts about ether and then after Einstein people kind of discarded this whole idea of the ether entirely. And that's where I tell a lot of story about the history and how and why but the ether from beyond that. So that's the scientific the ether is the is the where how light you know is doing its waving thing
0: it's the same it would be the same with any wavelength like sound or anything right so like and i love i think that's actually probably one of the best and easiest to comprehend examples i've ever heard is used, comparing it to an ocean or a body of water. There there are waves in it. In order for there to be a wave, there has to be a fluid that it's in. There has to be something there. So if there is a wave to light, and a wave to sound and everything else, it has to be going through something. Right. It's waving, it's waving through it. Something's
1: waving. That's why yeah, yeah. When, uh, in, in space, no one can hear you scream because there's no gas there. There's nothing to, to do. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So, so of course, if there's nothing doing this, you can't you can't transmit sound. Yeah. And that's why you there's no sound in space. So But the thing is, there is light in space yeah so then what's carrying the light yeah and that's been the the issue and now you know after after a certain point it's become a dogma that you're just supposed to believe just believe yeah it's a it's a field what's a field uh it's a field it's a bunch of numbers here i'll write down some numbers for for you yeah (laughs) and that's the only explanation they give you so basically i came to this point at which i i was tracing down these weird magical beliefs in physics and and you you know it's funny because i'm going to be talking about spirituality and things like that but I come from this extremely um, deterministic sort of viewpoint. There was a, It's like I, if, if it has the slightest hint of magic to it, I'm like, hold on. Mm-hmm. There, I, I smell BS. Yeah. I, better, I better see how this works because everything I've ever investigated, I've found a way that it works. Mm-hmm. Reality works. It's the one thing that I always found. Reality works. It doesn't, it doesn't just do stuff. Yeah. And, and that's been always my experience every time I looked. So then so then here I was like, OK, well, then how does this work? Because you're telling me to just accept it. And I was told to just accept it a lot of times before now. And I didn't uh, because I wanted to know. I want to know, is there a way that this actually works? Because that's how we built technology. That's how we got science is we said, is it magic? Is, is is that what's happening? Or is there some way that it works that we can understand mm. underneath? And so that's what I found in science is the place at which we stop saying that it works. And we say, you just got to believe. And, and so that's where the story of ether kind of starts. And here's the thing. Once again, let me reiterate, because this is really important. Ether is not at odds with relativity because there is a version of ether that works Because it was actually developed before relativity. In other words, there is this point. That's that's what I'm writing this paper about right now. And that is, uh, is Minkowski space-time pseudoscience? And I'm actually discussing from an academic standpoint that this this really strongly held belief has no empirical basis. This is incontrovertible. There is no empirical basis specifically for Minkowski space-time. That is the conjoining of space with time. There is no empirical basis for that because that is separate from relativity and that's where they always they, they try to say that they're the same thing What they're trying to sneak one in I'm right behind the other and relativity is different so this is and, and maybe give people just a brief explanation of relativity yeah. just so they yeah that's that's great because there's a fun uh it is a really fun topic because it is counterintuitive and i can tell you a story that'll make you understand it better than you've ever understood it before and i don't even need Perfect. i don't even need a thing to, to write it on it's yeah. really neat so so relativity Most people are going to know it by the idea of constancy. And so the constancy of light of light is that now we've we've talked about a wave has to travel in something. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, if a river is a nice placid river is going by, if I were to drop a a pebble in it, that little circle would go out. But it'd also be moving past you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it just do that number. So we have this idea that, you know, a wave travels in its medium. Well, here's the thing. That means the, the, its motion, with respect to me, I can walk with respect to it. It's going to change my apparent speed. In other words, how quickly I can make the wave, I can walk right alongside the wave as it's getting bigger because it's going this way, and so I can just walk right beside that, that little wave, right? And that would change the speed of the wave with respect to me. According to relativity, you can't do that with light ever, under any circumstances. No matter how fast you're going, it's going faster than you by the exact same amount. And that is something that right off the bat, seems irrational, just seems like what it's just it just goes faster than you. You go fast, it goes faster mm. and, and there's a lot of different ways in which you can express this that are just really nonsensical and that's where all the things like the twins paradox, and if you 've ever heard of that, and there's all these different things all come from this one concept. however, this concept of constancy the constancy of light that it appears to travel the same speed that goes back to the michelson morley experiment i was talking about that it appears to s- travel the same always the same speed according to you so it's almost like solipsism where you're the center of the universe except light ma- makes you think that you're always the center of the universe no matter how fast you're going it's going faster or uh, by the exact same amount that's really weird when you think about the fact of how a wave should work but this was designed by a guy named Hendrik Lorentz, and it's actually we still call it the Lorentz transform today. So it's it has to do with this math that is designed to create an optical illusion, just like any stage illusionist. Uh, <laughs> Lorentz would have been great in Vegas mm-hmm. because that's what he was doing. He was trying to figure out how to make it so that the Michelson Morley experiment could be null, but there was still an ether wind. Hmm. How would you do that? If light has to go up and back and back and it's always going to be end up there, you know, because there's trying to go upstream, you're like, you go real slow and then you mm-hmm. whiz back. And the other one, you're having to travel this weird angle across and you're, you're swimming at an angle the entire mm-hmm. time and then you make it back. But it, it ends up being a different speed when you do the math. And so so it's like, well, how can I make this into an illusion? And it, and actually, the funny thing is there's, there's even a reason why he did this that goes way back that I won't get into yet because that's actually part of my paper. But... So he's like, I can make I can make math that'll do this. And he wasn't the first one that came up with it. There was others, and this is all the way back like 1889 era. That the the first version of what's called the Lorentz transform, and that is the central mathematical formula for relativity. And relativity is that's that's how we have all of our physics, black hole physics, everything's based on relativity in some way or another. And I'm not arguing against relativity. I'm I'm arguing against the interpretation. interpretation. So. So here's the thing with with the whole constancy weirdness, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to explain this to you in like ballistic terms. So what constancy means to put it to re-explain it another way is let's say you're on a a train that travels nearly the speed of a bullet, and I, as you're passing by, there's a guy on the ground with a gun, bang, shoots in the same direction you're going on this nearly the speed of a bullet train. What do you see out the window? Well, you look out there. And there's this little bullet kind of starting to slowly pass you, but it's just going to fall to the ground. That's what you're going to see yep. is it's kind of like right beside it because you're riding along with it. But according to relativity, if, you, if you're traveling nearly the speed of light on a nearly speed of light train and, you, and a guy fires a laser just as you pass, what do you see when you look out the window? You would expect, just like the bullet, it would slowly be creeping by. But according to relativity, poof, goes past you at the speed of light the speed of light according to him and the speed of light according to you what that's that's where people always have this first problem because it it does it is weird but it's a mathematical trick that has to do with the average and so i'm gonna tell i'm gonna gonna show you how to do this in a way that makes sense from just a yeah just kind of an analogy yeah yeah.
0: layman's term the shit
1: out of that one yeah yeah right (laughs) because it's weird yeah 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 that's interesting so that, so that's basically the, the the premise of of relativity is that constancy of light that instead of the bullet riding beside you, it's past the the first wave front of light passes you at the speed of light. So here's how Lorentz Fitzgerald, all these people prior to relativity came up with the math that is the very central basis of relativity. And that is they said, okay, okay. Now, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to tell it to you kind of ass backwards because that's the only way to really understand it uh, is, is from, from a, a starting with time and, uh, and, and instead of starting from all the other physics concepts that are a lot more difficult. Um, but let's pretend I have a time gun and I can slow time on your train. Okay. So uh and I can just adjust it to whatever I want. Now, what will you see if I slow down your time and you're inside the train? What's what's your experience going to be like? Well, if I shut all the shutters and stuff so you can't look outside, you won't know. Yeah. Everything will be exactly the same to you. Because I've slowed your time, I've slowed everything. The falling of drinks, the cups, all of them, and your perception of it is still going to be linked is going to be slowed as well. So your perceptions will be slowed exactly the same amount that things are slowed. So you're just going to have the same experience and not know any better. But if I open the window and you look outside, what you're going to see is because your experience is happening slow, everything outside is going to be running around really fast. And you be like, oh, my time is slow. What on, what on earth? Are you they, He hit me with the time gun.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, that bastard. bastard. <laughs> Got me again. So, <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Neat trick about that is, if I slow your time and make things outside happen really fast, couldn't I calibrate the time with my time gun so that when you're traveling nearly the speed of a bullet, the bullet outside moves past your window faster than it should because your time is screwed up. So, And I could calibrate it so it passes your window at the speed of a bullet. And so what I've done is I've tricked you by screwing with your time mm-hmm. but here's the thing that trick only works in one direction so that's where the difference is that's the big thing but let's go let's revisit it because this is kind of i mean i'm, I'm trying i'm asking you this usually you got to get off the board yeah <laughs> you gotta yeah, get yeah, off the board yeah for the stuff but you know so which do you understand what i'm saying here is that i all i gotta do is just change your time and then your perception of the events will be altered Now this is actually part of relativity that your time is altered as you're moving with respect to other other people, and so the way that they explain it, these are going to be familiar concepts to people who have been trained in relativity. But what's going to be unfamiliar is my explanation of a an illusion, because nobody. Knows, I mean, nobody but historians. Historians know. And that's basically, that's what I've mostly become as a historian of physics. Historians know about this. But almost nobody since roughly the 50s has been taught anything about this route to achieving relativity through ether. They don't even know that you can. In other words, like, it is just, it is... This is something I found a quote by uh, John Stuart Bell, who is well known for what's called Bell inequalities. It's this very s- specific thing about quantum physics. And one of his quotes is about, you know, about taking people along the path by, um, you know, Larmor, Lorenz, Fitzgerald and Poincaré. And, and, and he talks about this. And so I know that's one of the places where I know people, at least at that period of time, hadn't lost history. But since then, I haven't found anybody talking about this history where... This is an alternative interpretation of relativity, no academic is taught. You can go get a PhD, and they will not teach you this very crucial part of history that you can achieve relativity with a physical mechanical wave through an illusion. Because normally what they what they're saying is it's not an illusion, it's reality, and reality's shifted in this weird way. And I'll I'll try to explain a little bit very vaguely because we don't want to get too much into that. Yeah. But the way that I'm just explaining it is this mechanical thing. And a mechanical wave, is, is anybody who knows relativity will be like, no, relativity cannot be done with a mechanical wave because they haven't been taught. And they'll tell you, no, no, you mechanical waves, light can't be a mechanical wave if relativity is true, period. And they'll tell you that flat to your face. PhD will walk in here and say that because they don't know the history. And that's the thing that that that's what my next paper is about, in which I, I got to make sure to, to launch this paper before. So just in case some Ph.D. W- uh, watch yeah. like, wait, wait a minute, let me look this up. And then they publish before me because yeah. I, I want this history. It's, it is it is kind of a history paper. That's very it's very important. Uh, and it's, it's important to today because of all the crises that are going on in physics. So here's this alternative interpretation. And so what is it? What is it? You know, what does all this mean and why is it? Why is it important? Why is ether? Why is ether important? Why is ether important? And it's because, wow, it's a it, it opens out into a lot of things. Let me let me let me put a end cap on this whole weirdness with the the illusion. The thing with that illusion is that if I if somebody fires a gun in the opposite direction my illusion's totally broken, right? Because the, 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 the way I got you to, to be fooled into this is that because you're riding along with a bullet. Same direction. In the same yeah. direction and slowing your time, it, then it works. And the other way, it'd just be like twice the speed of a bullet. You know, yeah. it just yeah, screw yeah. it up. Um, or, yeah, it'd be something close to that. So the uh, the point here is that Instead, whatever we are measuring light, we only measure the two-way speed of light and never the one-way speed of light. And when you look it up, now, as of the 90s, they say that the one-way speed of light cannot be measured. Now, And before that, they just simply said that it had not been measured. And that, and, and that is the basis between ether theory and Minkowski spacetime. But here's, here we, this idea, and you've heard space and time are linked. They're one thing. That idea has no empirical basis. There's no test. There is no, it is technically pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. It has never been tested in any way. Now, all the other things that relativity does, time dilation, length contraction, those are absolutely irrefutable when it comes to the, the scientific record. There's just huge amounts of data. But those are a separate thing mm-hmm. from conjoining space and time. And that's what I'm talking about. So what does this mean? That the ether is a valid scientific concept that explains things in a completely different way. And it comes at it from a very different perspective. If we understand this idea of there being an a, a substance that is that for some reason does this weird shortening trick, uh, and and I, I won't get into the mechanics of it, but it works out. It works out from electromagnetism. I've been uh, my most recent paper. I'm citing things from Oliver Heaviside. This is you know the fellow who gave us our our most our best understanding of Maxwell's equations. We're talking about this stuff is is it was already there in in 1889, just two years after this experiment. And that's many years between uh, between then and 1905, where theoretically Einstein you know, destroyed the ether in 1905 with, with relativity. But the thing is, that's not what he did. And by 1920, he said, space without ether is unthinkable. And you read all these things, and you're like, how are they saying? I, He had five years after general relativity, and he gives this long speech about how space without ether is unthinkable. And I've got five different quotes at the mi- minimum all throughout his career where he's saying constancy has to be abandoned. And what it is is they just didn't listen that's or something or something that's the other thing is or something and yeah. I, i'm, I'm loath to say it's a conspiracy i'll say it or or something
0: but or something <laughs> or
1: something because he sits there and just goes on and on and says that and it's, he's talking about the ether he that you have to have an ether and you and, and you have to give up this idea of constancy and what he meant was two-way constancy instead of the illusion of it that's what he was talking about because he knew He knew about this stuff. I'm not. I'm talking about history. He was. He had. He was privy to. That's why he said there's. There has to be an ether. That's why he said you have to give up constancy. When when anybody who's taught this is that well constancy is the very central basis of special relativity. You can't have relativity without constancy. They're they're one and the same. You can't especially can't have Minkowski space time without constancy. So there's this there's this whole story, and all of this relates to this thread that goes up through. Into quantum physics as well, like uh, people have heard about now anybody who's like gotten interested in, in quantum physics they they're, they're, they're going to be aware that there are these alternative interpretations like you've probably mm. maybe even heard of so oh, there's many worlds and then there's copenhagen and uh, and those are the ones that they 'll let you talk about because many worlds well the world is split into you know. Infinite possibilities and, and all of them exist. And then the other one is the, the Copenhagen interpretation: is you think it, and it collapses the wave function, and that's what makes it real, kind of. And that's kind of the the general feel that most people get about these two. That's so, another one, though.
0: Maybe just briefly define or compare and contrast, uh, for the sake of clarity, um, constancy and ether as it pertains to explaining. Okay. Explaining, uh, I mean, light
1: and, and speed and time and everything that we're uh, you, you've talked about before. So um, the understanding of what the world is, what it's made out of, how it works, all these things in the 19th century. And these are the guys like Lord Kelvin was a central figure in... It was, There's J.J. Thompson and Lord Kelvin, are these major figures in the 19th century. And they built all of the tools for modern physics along with... I mean, there's... They built a a lot of the tools for modern physics like topology, not theory. Uh, There's all of these things that are part of our our tool belt in physics that they built. And they were building them on uh, on ether. In other words, it was all based on ether. Maxwell's equations. He goes through just this huge long explanation of how the ether is moving and these wheels and pulleys. And it's all based specifically on ether. So... Constancy, the idea of constancy is the, the, the two different ways in which we're talking about it here is in one case, it's theoretically a reality. And the other way, it's an illusion. So it's like if you first believe the illusion is true, what do you mathematically have to do to reality for the illusion to be true to be true? and that's what minkowski spacetime is it's a mathematical representation of if the illusion is the truth that light just travels the same and we just accept it we don't we don't think about the fact that it doesn't work mechanically we just we make it work mechanically because we believe that reality is fundamentally four dimensional and there's your your everybody's at a weird angle through space time and then there's these problems that we won't think about that you know and there's there's just a a, a wide array of things i could talk about here that I, once again this is a conversation i can have with any physicist which is why yeah. on my channel i've you know i've got a, conversations with physicists because a lot of them who are really you know the ones who work on things the ones who actually develop things they are not the same as the people who are into theoretical physics as a where they're more into the theory in other words experimentalists versus theorists there's a big gap there Mm. and and what we hear from is is more the theorists than the experimentalists Mm. so the difference between the two ends up meaning that there are all these implications that go all the way up through science where this medium could be storing information this medium could be having these effects on the brain it could be there's there's these things where Specifically the storage of information is the biggest thing here. That's the big that's the big win is that there is when there is information in the medium itself in space in the ether. There's all in the ether exactly. Then there's so many things that open up and change. And that is very 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 much uh, a supportable conclusion from coming at it and looking at how how do you how do you arrive at modern physics? With this version of of relativity, because it's just a different version of relativity, and it goes right up into pilot wave theory, and then you then you go and you chase that down, and you find out oh there's all these guys working on pilot wave theory, you and you chase all these these rabbits down these various holes, and every time you come and find out that this is it's kind of hidden in the background, the ether is there hidden, they're calling it. Um, Probably the, one of the best representations of it is superfluid vacuum theory. That's what they'll call it, the superfluid vacuum theory, because you're not allowed to w- say the word ether. Oof man, it get, gets you in big trouble. But you can say superfluid vacuum theory. Uh, and that's the thing. It's like it is a, it's a fluid that behaves in a certain way. And that is accurate, that the ether would be best considered a superfluid, uh, because that's the only mathematical thing that will work with our modern physics. And mm-hmm. there's so you can follow these threads, and you end up finding all these ways and that where they're the hydrodynamic analogs. In other words, called, um, John Bush at MIT is my favorite um, current experimentalist. I would have to say, and he's got uh, quantum hydrodynamic analogs. Is the name of his project. He's been working on it for years, where he shows this alternative interpretation of quantum physics. Where there's these droplets that are bouncing, and I won't get into too much of it, but you know, for this is kind of for people to check out my book, and you know, I'll be explaining a lot of these things in the book. And but it basically shows another way we can come to the, all to these questions that we where we can't find a mechanism where we say, okay, reality underneath the surface is fundamentally random. That's not actually true. You don't have to have a fundamental randomness below a certain level. You can actually have information that is altering what appears to be random Mm. and it's a it's it's a lack of our uh, ability to get the inform get at the information that is making it look random and so you have to treat it as random mathematically speaking but there's something there's actually a pattern underneath that we may if we now know that it's there we may actually be able to gain some access to it so
0: Here's a question. and uh, For everybody, just once again, uh, I, I'm, I'm tasked with trying to make sure I keep uh, Shiva uh, speaking in a way that we can all understand and digest. Um, and so if, if you are a physicist or anybody who is really well versed in this stuff, definitely go to his YouTube channel. What is a YouTube channel? Steampunk physics, steampunk physics, Uh, and see some of his very detailed uh, videos on this and ones where he's actually talking with other physicists if you want to get down into the nitty gritty of it all. Um, And same with his book, which I believe will be coming out next year uh roughly right mm-hmm. and so uh, probably mid mid next year i
1: mean is there a website too if i forgot to plug that you'd have your
0: papers on but uh well
1: i've got a link tree on my instagram but uh the uh you know some of my videos will have some of my papers on there and when i publish this paper that i'm nearly finished i've been telling you about this one that i'm working on mm. when i publish this uh uh, can you put it in the low bar if you're going to have this yeah. on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that because this this paper is going to be specifically about addressing how and why you arrive at all of the various calculations, okay. and, and how this is just an it's just an interpretation. Yeah. that's the thing that's very important because there's so much we can't have a revolution in physics uh, by throwing everything away. That won't work. I mean, there, because there's so much designed based on you know current technology, all that kind of goes back to that. Yeah. But you can when you understand it's a difference of interpretation, that the, you know, the the structure that we've put on it, you know, you can have that gallon, that, that pool has 30,000 gallons in it. What's a gallon? It's there's a structure mm-hmm. you've put on it that isn't necessarily real. Yeah. And you've just divided it up in a way that's good for you. That's what interpretation sometimes is about. And sometimes it can lead you totally the wrong direction. So... Uh I want to – and what's the Instagram uh, handle really quick so people know? Uh, it should be Steampunk, Steampunk. it's, so it's all well. Steampunk
0: physics as well. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Um, so yeah, check out his link tree on, on Instagram because he has a lot of this stuff in there. Uh, I want to jump back really quick just because I, I think this idea is, is interesting and I'm, I'm curious where, uh, where you might be going with it. Uh, so the idea that the, the ether – and so – Within this, uh, just so I can clarify, um, the ether would be also considered not just everything like dark matter in space, but it's just everything around us. Everything that would be considered
1: emptiness, right? Yes, but here's the thing. That's that's why actually I'm glad you asked me that because there's a perspective that goes all the way back to ancient times, okay? We're talking about this is, this is ancient physics. This is UFO physics. This is spiritual physics. Where where these ideas from spirituality, if you believe the possibility that at some point in time, mankind may have understood reality better than they do now, Mm -hmm. then I believe that then this is what they were talking about in a lot of the religions. And you can actually start to pick up all these little pieces between uh, various symbols and various Mm -hmm. things. They all point to this one this one thing yeah and it's really it's exciting man it's really exciting and i i i just can't wait to get more people excited about it yeah i mean
0: i think i think there's so much to the interpretations uh of of ancient teachings of religions of ancient wisdom teachers of everything of old because we clearly possess understandings that we don't today to achieve the marvels that we did in our ancient history where we, according to the hubris of our current society, we were, yeah. you know, clubbing women over the head and dragging them into caves and building mud huts. And yet we erected some of the, the biggest megalithic structures known to man that we couldn't replicate today if we tried. Mm. Lined up perfectly, you know, on, on ley lines to true north, you know, to Orion's oh, Belt. like so many Just things. so much stuff, man. It is, It is... Mind-boggling how precise and, and and intelligently designed and and creative it was, uh, and and yeah and done by slaves, my ass. Like yeah. the the and that's what Graham Hancock talks about all the time. Like the amount of care and precision. I mean, I guess he can't fully rule it out, but it, it it seems more like a labor of love of people who were committed in the case of like the pyramids
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, to creating these things. But I'm curious about when you're talking about the the ether. Uh, being, um, uh, if you will, kind of a a storehouse of information in that regard. So I was thinking when you were saying that about... Uh, Dr. David Morehouse, who you were in, in the the room when um, I did, I think, the second interview with him on Clubhouse. And for those of you who don't know, um, Dr. David Morehouse is probably one of the foremost authorities in the world on remote viewing, uh, 20-year Army Ranger, commander, and uh, CIA operative, and he was a part of Project Stargate and the Gateway Experience. And uh, he has uh, some very incredible insight from his remote viewing and just the idea of essentially detaching consciousness and projecting it to other parts of the universe other parts of the planets whether that's to spy on the russians back in the 80s or to go remote view mars a million years ago and see the civilization that was there um and he he talked about towards the end of uh of that interview um about the the idea of the almost like the the waves the oceans of energy going through the universe that like when you tap into them in that that like there is this this oneness this kind of unity, like the. The ultimate information of all things, and mm-hmm. so I was looking at that, and then hearing this the idea of the ether. Um, whenever we do, you know, psychedelics, uh, you get into these, you know, altered states of consciousness, non-ordinary states of consciousness. You have ego death, whatever it is. You become kind of essentially vaporized and one with the universe, one with this God source, if you will, this infinite intelligence yep. that is in the universe. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, in a way, that the ether. Could very well be that infinite intelligence, like a giant brain, a network of just pure information that is everywhere and all around us that is
1: just waiting, essentially, to be tapped into. Yeah. They call it the Akashic Record. Is yeah, the Akashic things. Records. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's what uh, Tesla called it, the Akasha. He he did actually called the akasha. Yes, he did, oh, and specifically uh, when he was talking about it, he said uh, the the uh, the akasha and prana, because he he was actually a uh, a big fan of Swami Vivekananda. I hope I pronounced that pro- properly, but mm-hmm. uh, and he followed him around, uh, you know, a good bit. He, he followed his teachings. I mean, uh, and trying to learn about this, what basically was. What he, what I would, I would guess the reason why he was fascinated with him, and it's, it's specifically said in one of these these quotes that I probably ought to bring up, but is that it was, you know, man, long ago knew these things, mm. these things that he was just discovering. Mm. So, what, the one thing I did want to also point out here is that, both this is actually what Tesla uh, said as well, and that is the universe as we understand it is an inside-out view. In other words what we are what we think of as the hard thing the solid the real that is bubbles that's just foam at the edge of the sea and that the real world the real thing is actually the ether the thing mm-hmm. that we think of as nothing is actually the thing the mm-hmm. real thing and we're just the at the edges of it and that's we are literally the edges of the universe that ma- ma- material existence is the edge of the universe.
0: Well that- it makes sense if you think about just the idea of how much of the universe, I mean, is just void, if you will. It is just ether, where mm-hmm. the solid matter, uh, you know, comprises such a tiny, tiny bit of it. Just like in an atom, mm-hmm. most things are just the ether. Like it, it's, and it's ultimately all energy. I mean, vibration, resonance, frequency, everything at its core. There is no such thing as matter, ultimately,
1: right? I mean, that's just that's yeah, an exactly. Illusion. That's the the. <laughs> It's a phenomenon. That's that's the weird thing. Is like understanding uh, and seeing matter as a phenomenon as as what the ether is doing. You know, that's yeah. the, that that you end up seeing. And then when you start to see this from a, the concept of, uh, you know, well the, here you have this huge data system, and it's a holographic data system. That's the other that's the other aspect of it. That's that's important is to understand what holography is and how that it works. But it's a holographic data system. And, and once you start to see that and see, you know, the way that all of those things could be interpreted, it really gives you a a kind of a different perspective of of the importance of this, what we are here. And and when this is just a focal point, it's just the the point at which stuff crosses, Hmm. you know, stuff crosses and then you end up seeing like a, you know, um, What's a good example of that where, where, you know, you only really notice where things sort of come together. But the real thing is the larger thing. And I I can't think of another example of it right this moment.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Something might come. Yeah, where you're only seeing the... The, the focal point of it right. not, the, not but the, the whole but thing. the yeah. whole
1: thing is something much larger and that's yeah. what you end up seeing like an iceberg maybe yeah
0: i mean what the parts uh, above the water i don't i mean that's nah, I mean, <laughs> that's that works in other analogies um but yeah i know i know what you mean
1: right and so yeah. so matter and our existence is the crossing of all of what reality is doing and so yes seeing it as a large brain just the the way in which we look at the the dark matter so dark matter um Let's just have a slight digression on dark matter for a second here because the idea of equating, I don't want to directly equate ether and dark matter, but they are very strongly correlated because the idea is we we looked out into the universe in like the 1930s era, I think it was, uh, Fritz Zwicky uh, saw that uh, galaxies were rotating at a speed that was you know different than what we expected based upon general relativity, said, well, it... Must be some matter we can't see. Uh, I don't know, and uh, and then we we stuck with that for now, and that's what dark matter is. is it's it's the amount that general relativity was wrong by, yeah. uh, and that's that's what dark matter is. And good way and, to put it. Uh, okay. And so, but the thing is, that can be explained. Like there was papers published that I was just looking at, just in, in major journals in in Europe, uh, on sol- solving the uh, gravity based upon fluid calculations. And suddenly, this difference in the way that things are moving has to do with because you're looking at the fluid instead of the particles in it. In other words, the the particles in it are just spaces sort of created. Whereas it's what's what's really going on. The reason why the the thing is moving is because it's it's the motion of the fluid around it that's causing this this rotation. And then once you solve that way, suddenly the need for dark uh, dark matter it just goes away because that is what the dark matter is. Is this that the that, that additional calculation where we could use these these. Fluid fluid dynamics-based calculations. So,
0: so you're saying it's like an ocean and these objects are in the ocean, like a whirlpool almost spinning. Exactly, and they're... like a
1: whirlpool. But like the center of a whirlpool is a space. Mm-hmm. We look at it and think of it as a thing. You look at a tornado. You see, that's a tornado.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is it? Because what you're looking at is a phenomenon. It's a, you know, the reason why you see the, the, the droplets or the edge of the funnel cloud. Well, first off, even the edge is an illusion because, you know, just right beside the edge, there's tons of wind that will tear you yeah. apart and kill you. Yeah. So you, when you think of a tornado, you're already limiting it down to this weird little edge. Mm. Well, even what causes that edge, that's just a change in the relative humidity where the, the, uh, the, uh, the water in the air becomes droplets and then it, it fogs it up. So it's just a transition point at which the speed of the air has changed, the density of it, and then altered the relative humidity, so that you can see this edge. And it's, I mean, it's kind of useful to when we want to represent a tornado yeah. to draw that draw edge. Yeah. But the but the edge isn't even real, mm. and you know, and the tornado. Well, that's like it's just the focal point of a storm. And so when you start seeing these kinds of analogies about what matter is, what we are, where, where our consciousness is coming from, this larger thing, then you, then there are questions of free will and things like that that start to go, wait a minute, maybe the whole reason why I have this weird idea of free will and always have these problems is because I'm thinking of me as something that's too small and not recognizing that me is the things that lead to this focal point, not just the little, not the little focal point.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, to uh, to I guess drive home really quick the the, the Tesla um, the Tesla angle with this uh, diving into ether uh, because this this is what he used to explain things and, and in my opinion uh, I think Tesla is probably the one of the most prolific you know people of our time who's kind of been uh, most most things he's he's done. Uh, are, you know, uh, not accepted by by the scientific community anymore. I mean, outside of, you know, some basic things. But when it comes to something like this, mm-hmm. like the ether, which really, uh, if we're talking about something getting you closer to, you know, the unified field theory, um, in a way, I'm, I'm assuming this provides, you know, uh, a far better or more plausible explanation for things.
1: Yes, a mechanical one. The one that, that we no longer have to believe in any magic at all whatsoever. But do we if we redefine what magic is.
0: Yeah. And so so I guess just for for the audience uh before we go forward. Um what it, what did it specifically did Tesla say about the ether? Cuz one of the, my favorite quotes from him which I'm probably going to butcher now is but like you know the, the day we we learn to study you know the the non-physical
1: uh we'll make more scientific progress in 10 years than we have in, you know, hundreds of years prior. Whenever he was talking about resonance, whenever he was any one of those things everything was based upon ether in other words even the idea of a rotating uh, magnetic field well he just saw it as a vortex of ether and that's that's where he came up with the idea of the rotating magnetic field which is one of the first things that he's really strongly uh, credited with but it, it just so happens as you were talking i brought up one of my um sets of quotes here and if you don't mind i'm gonna go ahead and read the long version of this where he it was a um uh, it's it's called uh, man's uh, destiny. I think was the name of it, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's a prepared statement that, that Tesla yeah. gave. That I really like the the context of. Um, so there there manifests itself in the fully debe- developed being man. A desire mysterious, inscrutable, and irresistible to imitate nature, to create, to work. Uh, himself, the wonders he perceives. Inspired to this task, he searches, discovers, and invents, designs, and constructs, and covers with monuments of beauty, grandeur, and awe. The star of his birth, he descends into the bowels of the globe to bring forth its hidden treasures and unlock its immense imprisoned energies for his own use. He invades the dark depths of the ocean and the azure regions of the sky. He, uh, He powers in the innermost nooks and recesses of molecular structure appears oh, excuse me and he's, lays re- bare- he's reading from far away yes yeah, so I, I can barely <laughs> see it here you have to excuse me guys uh, and lays bare to uh, his gaze worlds infinitely rem- remote he subdues and puts to his service the fierce devastating spark of prometheus the titanic forces of the waterfall the wind the tide he tames the thundering bolt of love and annihilates time and space he makes the great sun itself his obedient toiling slave such is his power and, and might that he that the heavens reverberate and the whole earth trembles by the mere sound of his voice what has this what has the future in store for this strange being born of a breath of perishable tissue, yet immortal, with his powers fearful and and divine. What magic will be wrought by him in in the end? What is to be his greatest deed, his crowning achievement? Long ago, he recognized that all perceptible matter comes from a primary substance or a tenuity beyond conception, filling all space, the akasha or luminiferous ether, which is acted upon by the life-giving prana or creative force, calling into existence in never-ending cycles all things and phenomena. The primary substance thrown into infinitesimal worlds of prodigious velocity becomes gross matter. The force subsiding, the motion ceases and matter disappears, reverting to the primary substance. Can man control this uh, grandest, most awe-inspiring of all processes in nature? Can he harness her inexhaustible energies to perform all their functions at, uh, at his bidding, more still, cause them to operate simply by the force of his will? If he could do this, he would have power almost unlimited and supernatural. At his command, but but a slight effort on his part, old worlds will disappear, and new ones of his planning would spring into being. He could fix, solidify, and preserve the ethereal shapes of his imagining, the fleeting visions of his dreams. He could express all the creations of his mind and on any scale, in forms concrete and imperishable. He could alter the size of the planet, control its seasons, guide it along any path he might choose through the depths of the universe. He could cause planets to collide and produce his his suns and stars, his, his heat and light. He could originate and develop life in all its infinite forms. To create and annihilate material substance, cause it to aggregate and form according to his desire, would be the supreme manifestation of the power of man's mind, his most complete triumph over the physical world, his crowning achievement, which would place him beside his creator, make him fulfill his ultimate destiny. So, yeah, powerful words from Tesla, and specifically about the ether, and about should we ever gain full command of the ether, which is why I think it's a bit scary. I think, so anything like this, it is, we, we kind of, we kind of stand at the precipice uh, of a of a bird exiting the nest. And I think that that's where mankind is right now, is that we either fly or fall. And and perhaps that is the essence of why now for a lot of things, why now for, you know, are we being watched by other civilizations? Are they going to see do they want to watch the birth of a of a of a new a new being, you know, or or the failure of it, and who knows? And maybe they don't. They don't know either. And maybe nobody knows. And there and, and and people people are waiting with bated breath to see people. I mean, people from other places, yeah, yeah are waiting with bated breath to see will will this birth, you know, uh, will, will it happen? Will it be beautiful, or will it fail? You know, will it will it die? Unfortunately, yeah, so and uh, yeah, I think it's.
0: I think a a good thing to kind of maybe. Uh, explain a little bit uh, is we both were uh, I'm still reading it but the uh, the book Occult Ether Physics um, and we, we talked about this a little bit in a clubhouse room and I I think it was you that who's, who. Meant, was it you that brought it up or someone bringing it up we okay. both got it it was you that brought it up mm-hmm. okay, you brought it up and I got it after that um, and there's some some interesting things uh, that were, were written in this book I'm blanking on the author's name but um, the interesting thing is When it comes to the ether, when it comes to the reality of what all this means, kind of what's in that statement, the power it unlocks, uh, of the code it would crack, yeah. ultimately. Um, we know there's conspiracies, and a lot of them, uh, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't even call them conspiracies. I think they're just, this reality is what happened with Tesla. We know that, you know. Uh, the second he died his place was raided everything that he had all of his work was taken gone and never seen the light of day again mm-hmm. we know all of the suppression that takes place and if you go to the nate night talks website um on there is this declassified document with a few hundred pages of all of the uh new energy uh patents that have been suppressed uh, have been taken people who've been killed who've come up with these things you know one of the famous examples that guy in the 70s who made the car that ran on water and he runs out of that diner being like i've been poisoned and drops dead right there uh there's many stories this isn't like a, a one-off thing uh, there's mm-hmm. countless patents that uh that are confiscated by the government or disappear or whatever that ultimately have to do with revolutionizing energy and well there is some you know. Uh, Stuff with the Morgans, which uh, was uh, addressed in this JP Morgan um, early on in in Tesla's life, you know, and I think he was kind of plagued uh, and is very unfortunate because everything that he was doing threatened the people who ultimately had the stranglehold on energy. Uh, and and would have made it obsolete essentially overnight, and given it to everybody in the world. Uh, and he extrapolates, you know, in that book uh, early on about, you know, uh, implications during World War II because you know Tesla ended up selling his uh, his technology to Werner von Braun and uh, and the Nazis because America the Americans went by it. J.P. Morgan won't pay really? for it, and um, and so, but this giving that technology this this ability. Um, would allow people to travel anywhere they could have an automobile that would require very little maintenance could travel any place they wanted they could live remotely in a mountain they wouldn't need any contact they'd have infinite energy like true uh, independence if you will which the power structures who want the stranglehold and and the suppression of the people uh, don't want and so I look at what happened with Tesla and the things that he was on to, especially as it pertains to his flying machines, which we'll definitely have to get into. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that definitely is coming. Um, is that he was so revolutionary with so much of what he did uh, and, and created and, and proved in many ways. Um, and, and that people like, you know, Einstein were, very much in line with him uh, and, and despite the framing, mm-hmm. which, you know, like you said, you can look at that however you want, but there's, you don't have many options when, when you're these are supposed to be sober-minded academics and scientists who are looking at information who just willfully disregard things and, and go forward with yeah. this suppression. And now this has been relegated to the fringe, this explanation for things is, as you're saying, you can't even bring up the word ether.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: And that is mind blowing because it seems like all of this would have revolutionized everything hundred years ago. We would, uh, I mean, in ways that we couldn't imagine. And now there is the
1: conspiracy side of that with well, you look energy. At the timing of his death, and you look at the timing of when his papers were confiscated, and the timing of the bomb, and there's some weird timing issues there to look at as well.
0: Yeah. Yes, and so you you have you have the energy component. You have, let's say, the the conspiracy of power of the, you know, the, the world's 0.1%, uh, you know, the robber barons at the time, and, you know, the people, the uh, um, Industrial Revolution and everything, like everyone, and energy, like all the people who would stand to lose everything, or at least a lot of it, uh, because mm-hmm. of this, even though they could have invested in him and taken, you know, mm-hmm. percentage of that, but still would not made up. I mean, it's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that they've made since then on this. Um you have that as an angle. Okay, so the suppression, uh, it was suppressed field uh, for, for money, for power, and ultimately, you know, uh, keeping, you know, keeping people from, you know, true independence, uh, true freedom from, from those structures. Yep. Or you have the other angle, which is what you're just talking about, of what this actually unlocks. What if, based on that speech, uh, if, if hum- humanity really did unlock this and had that power, are we fucking ready for it? And the answer is no. I mean, no fucking way based exactly. on what we've done with like with the, the, you know, the atomic bomb, what we still do today uh, as far as how warring we are with the society, this tribalism, this. I mean, we can't even agree as a species, which is goes in the UFO thing of like, I mean, if we can't get along with ourselves, then how the hell are we ever going to get along with a species that is of a completely different evolutionary origin and a completely different way of life? I mean, like it's foreign from us in every possible way. And so it looks like there's there's two possibilities, or it could be a mix of both, for this information to have been suppressed mm-hmm. and uh, and disproven and now relegated to a fringe and stigmatized to no end that if you bring it up, you're a kook. You won't be respected by anybody in the scientific community. Yep,
1: yep. And the thing is, um, is that changing, is is the question here. And I think the answer is... Just recently, the the answer is yes, because there's been a long consideration of if humanity can survive what's coming. In other words, it's like, will will humanity survive, or at least this version of humanity survive, uh, you know, and being technological society, et cetera. Of course, you know, when you're talking about humanity as a genetic line, well, if, you know, five people survive. That's yeah. Possible. yeah. I'm yeah. not talking about that. Civilization. But about, but yeah. what we are, our cultures are, and, and who we are, and the genetic diversity and all of that, will that survive? And... Uh, and when it comes to the changes happening to our climate, regardless of what you might think, the, the reasons for it are um, the the answer is very questionable. And and it's rapidly changing, mm-hmm. faster than most people think. And there's, there's certain things that I think people don't even really want to talk about. Like one of the ones that I find really strange that nobody talks about is how fast the uh, magnetic... Uh, Pole is shifting mm. uh the the speed at which it's moving okay so to to anybody who thinks of that in human terms they're like oh well it's only moved you know a couple of miles a year or i don't know what it is but it's some it's some absurd speed on ge- uh, on um terms that have to do with uh geological time frames mm-hmm. it's it's flipping out Mm-hmm. Is what it's doing on those kind of time frames, is which, which, when you're looking at the movement of a pole, that's what you look at. You don't think of it in terms of humans. Mm. You think of it in terms of what's really going on. And in and our our magnetic pole is flipping out. What's going to happen as that pole starts to shift is that the magnetic field starts becoming more complex, where there's these areas where uh, where we no longer will have protection from uh, cosmic rays, and they'll, the and, and it'll just start being this this weird uh, set of Places that are protected and places that are not, and this may be happening. This may actually come in the next fifty years, even along with all the climate change stuff. Mm. And it may be actually locked in with the climate change. There may be, there may be a um, convergence of events that are happening, um, and perhaps even because they have some uh, shared causal factors. I don't, I don't know, but there are indications that there may be some shared causal factors between all of these weird things. So the question of whether or not humanity is going to 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 go forward and is the risk worth the um, what's I, I here's the thing that I'm trying to say is that I think that there are a lot of people in high places that have been thinking about this and whether or not um, the risk of moving forward is worth it because we want to save you know everybody's kind of come to that regardless what happens maybe we need to take this risk of advancing technology a large amount maybe we need to take this risk because we have to uh, to be able to survive will we survive well that's all right we were already at a point where we might not Hmm. so is it a risk once you're at the point where there's a very good chance you're not going to survive what's risk and what isn't starts to change a lot and so we may be at that point where what's risk and what is not has changed and so that we're we may be at the cusp of those people who have in the who have previously said been part of suppression, who've been part of like, well, you know, we're not ready for this. All right, well, yeah, we're not ready, but readiness or not, sometimes doesn't even that's not even part of it anymore.
0: <laughs> it just made me think of something.
1: Not to go off on the tangent,
0: but why the fuck not? That's, what, fuck we're, that's not. what we're here to do. Yeah. Um, this just made me think. <laughs> With the doom and gloom scenario, um, because we are, uh, and I, I think that, and I, I think that can be felt. Um, and I have a whole weird feeling about this too. Whether or not, I mean, mentally, the the mental state of the world. Um, with everything going on, that I don't know if it's just a result of everything happening with COVID, just like the, the stress. But I feel like there's almost some type of a biological or a, a, the a radio wave, some type of effect that's happening on our brains. Which, if you talk about electromagnetism, talk about pole shifting, the effect that's going to have neurologically on people, there will be an effect. Like we're we're mm-hmm. we're tied to that. Like we are. I mean, all things are. And yeah. so whether or not there is you know any tie with that, but I was I was talking you know with my my girlfriend. Yesterday, a couple of days ago, when just with everything going on, uh, you know, how crazy it is to be alive during this time, because I never thought, you know, growing up, I would ever be where I am today, Like where the, the world would ever be where the world is right now. The times we're living in are fucking terrifying. And and it's crazy that we're alive during them. And what you were talking about the next, you know, 50 years, I mean, pull shifts are there's a lot that's going to happen with that uh, geologically i mean not just you know with everything else you're talking about with uh, um you know radiation and things coming in from the sun and that protective you know shield <laughs> no longer being there what that would even mean for migration what that would mean for like you know politics my mind was going all these different places you know we all are familiar with the whole population thinning you know that's a lot of big conspiracies about what's going on with like covid and this whole depopulation like agenda with the new mm-hmm. world order and everything to shrink the population down and if you know once again the People at the very top have this information. They're the ones who suppress this information when it comes to things like this. Uh, if there was, if, the, if we're going to say this is a conspiracy, that mm-hmm. all, of, you know, the ether and everything was suppressed, we know who did it. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's obvious. And those people are still ruling the world. Mm-hmm. And so they would be privy to this information and be aware of, like, what's actually happening and know that, like, well, if this is all taking place, uh, because of our greed, ultimately, they're the ones behind it. <laughs> they may be the ones responsible for it anyway. Oops, yeah, uh, but But, like, you know, there'd be no way with all, you know, over 7 billion people on the planet that we can migrate to particular regions that might uh, end up being this way. And, uh, and so maybe the population is, is being thin for those type of reasons. This is more, you know, we're just talking. We're not saying right, hey, this is like real,
1: I, I hate thinking but, about the, those sorts of possibilities, but sometimes, you
0: know, yeah, you know, but, but it made me think, uh, when you're talking about the next 50 years, you know, we're in this, this dire state of how crazy is it that if that is the case, if, if we're at the end of civilization, on this planet, unless we can drastically course correct and yeah. uh, and and suddenly become noble, uh, those people who control the world <laughs> and uh, and unite for the greater good of humanity. Me to and, laugh, and, at yeah, that. Well, you it's, it's hard not to. Um, that you know we're we're facing an extinction, an extinction level event. And how crazy is that? Because whenever I look back at history, um, uh, and people like Randall Carlson, uh, who's talked about, you know, I think the the past. 125,000 years, there was roughly like 11 extinction-level events that took place in this planet. 11 reset buttons that have happened on society. Mm -hmm. And we know, or civilization, and we know that, you know, now the oldest human that was found, I think, is like 300,000 years old. um, And I'm sure even older than that. Because we found tools, what, in, in Utah that are over a million years old? Like, tools that were made over a million years ago showing... You know ingenuity, like that we we possess these abilities. Like as Graham Hancock always says, we're a, we're a civilization without with amnesia. We we have no idea what came before us. Just like we were talking about before, with like civilizations and ancient wisdom that has been lost. But how crazy is it to think about all those civilizations that fell before us that like rose to levels that we don't even know today. Think, like, talk about Atlantis if we want to, you know, even go there. But even just, like, the, the Egyptians, the real Egyptians who created the pyramids uh, during the time, like Gobekli Tepe, you know, around the last Younger Dryas. These type of things. Civilizations that were clearly there beforehand because nobody was building these things when the Earth was thawing from an ice age. It had to have been beforehand that they were built. Um, and then, you know, merely survived after, uh, according to me. Uh, but uh, how crazy is it to think about, because I've thought about these civilizations and what they were like on their last their last few years. And did they know it was coming? Uh, yeah. And were they, was it, did they reach a, a point that we have, which I think they did, but even in a far more holistic way? Like, there's you some know, weird
1: shit that happens during the Yo- younger Dryas, where there's there's like, a, like, it's going out of control, then kind of stops for a little bit and then goes out of control again. There's like, it's yeah. almost as if something in, tried to intervene and, and failed, or, you know, there's, yeah. there's some weird stuff going on
0: there. Yeah. And so, like, and I always wonder, because you look back, you know, at how many of these civilizations were here that we have, we have no, no memory of and no physical remnants because the earth is just, I mean, no, nothing is permanent here. Mm-hmm. Like, our society that we build today is going to be nothing. Like, mm-hmm. there'll be no remnants of it. It's all temporal. Like, the, the pyramids, though, these things were erected deliberately to right. stand the test of time, to be a symbol. Almost like maybe they're meant to, uh, to communicate
1: something down through time.
0: Yes, exactly. That's all that, That's what Graham Hancock and John Anthony West and these guys say is that this is, this is meant for us to solve. Mm-hmm. Like this is this
1: is uh, oh, meant and, for us, yeah. And there's some amazing shit about the uh, the pyramids that, yeah, that relate to ether physics, of course. Yeah, you know, it's it, when it comes to, uh, you know, like the golden mean. Actually, is one of those ones where you, you people use it kind of superstitiously, but there's some specific stuff that I'm not going to get into, uh, but that 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 are related to. Um, I believe atomic physics and understanding uh, ether uh, better. So that's the most I'm going to say about it. Interesting. But uh, there's there there are definitely some things communicated specifically by relationships between numbers. In other words, like the relationships between numbers mean something. Yeah. And the relationships communicated by the pyramids are. Oh, they mean something. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But anyway, just just the idea that if if we are on this. That it's actually kind of cool, because obviously people could look at this in, in the morbid way of like, yeah you know, this is potentially we're facing the end of our civilization because of everything that's taking place, uh, not just between our species, but like, you know, with the, yeah, the climate change and, and pole shifts and, and everything they're in. I mean, how, how fragile we are anyway, yes. like anything um, could wipe us out at any second. Like, I mean, so a, a real a real pandemic could wipe, you know, has historically wiped us out, you know, many yeah. times. Um And how interesting is that, though, in a way, like, hey, if we're the last, like, it's kind of crazy to be here at the end. Like, you know, like to be like, because you wondered all the people who were at the end of past civilizations, the very end, they, they had to have known. I mean, unless it was just a meteor crash that, like, you know, wiped out the dinosaurs type thing. Like, unless it was something like that. But even then, given what we've seen these ancient civilizations know about astronomy, that, like, in planets, you know, in Zeta Reticuli, that, the, you know, like the uh, the Dogen tribe, and these things, like, yeah. how did you know any of this? Like, so, were they aware? And, like, you know, not to say that we can't save, save things. Not to say that, it, you know, it's too right. late. It, it's definitely possible. Um, but if not, it's, you know... I I think it's kind of cool. Yeah.
1: That's, that's why I'm writing this book. That's why I'm doing these things because I believe in mankind's future. I, I, I refuse to, I, I will always rage against the dying of the Yes, It's like, that's, that's, you know, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to just complacently um, not do what I, what I can. And and I feel like that's, that's, um, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people who have that same. Yeah spirit in them that they yeah. that they they refuse to just you know let things fall apart that they want to bring uh bring us to the next place that we can yeah. be instead of just yeah. falling back down into something lesser again well that is why we are here right now
0: uh, having this conversation is, is that same belief and um and i think it's you know there's 20 percent of people who maybe are like that and it's just up to us to wake up <laughs> The other eighty, uh, or at least the people who pull the strings that the other eighty listen to, you know, and that, and that means
1: we have to be able to. Here is the thing that that I've been dealing with that's really weird is is the thought that we have to be able to be tolerant with everyone, including those people who we see as the villains at the top. Mm-hmm. Somehow or another, we have to work with them too, mm. and because you know what, they do have the power, but maybe. Maybe the reason why things have gone wrong, maybe it was just i don't know I've, I, one of my my favorite book series that i that kind of introduced me to this idea was um the Michael Moorcock's Elric series where it's the first time I was really introduced to a um anti hero i think is what what they what it's called and and where he just kind of he's in this position as the ruler of these these people and, and you you just, you kind of, it makes you empathize with somebody who's doing some shit. That's really God awful. In other words, if you don't see it from inside his, his world, you see, it's like the, the things he is doing is just villainous. But then you see it from inside his world and you're like, and he had no freaking choice at all. This is shit. Yeah. And so maybe there is a, there is a point at which we can see that maybe they ended up in that place. And could be taken out of that place. In other words, we're in. In other words, there's maybe there's they've made decisions that were the only decisions they felt like they could make. Yeah. Maybe we can have some um, some ability to reintegrate those people who are hyper powerful, who are pulling the strings, who are lying to us. For maybe there's a way in which we can find tolerance and bring it back to love, even with those people that we see as villainous. Yeah. And, and and maybe that's the only way we can actually move forward. I don't know. Um, this is just a, a thought that's yeah. occurred to me. Well, no, I, you know? I agree.
0: I mean, for one, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Uh, I mean, the choices that people, I mean, people who live their normal day-to-day life don't have to make those choices. They don't have to you know, make decisions that impact everybody and be yeah. held accountable. But I think that's more in a power structure that maybe is anointed versus one that is, you know, uh, taken the way that this has been. Yeah. Um, but But also, you know, just remembering that, We're all, and I tried it, especially when I don't, you know, read books like, you know, Jim Mars' Rule by Secrecy, uh, a great book, uh, which really dives into the secret societies, you know, for thousands of years and the lineage of them and who's involved, like, just just the facts, Um, is that, you know, we're all capable of absolute, positive, amazing things and negative, atrocious things. Like, it it lies within all of us, Mm -hmm. and it's merely circumstance that really dictates what that's gonna be. Like, who raised you, what happened to you as a child? Like, you know, because no, being an actor, I've I've played a lot of villains uh, the past six, seven years for whatever reason. And they're the most uh, enjoyable characters to play because they're the most challenging. Mm -hmm. But no bad guy, uh, is ever a bad guy? They're not like waking up doing something like I'm bad, so I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah, they're they're justified to no end for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Granted, their justification may be absurd to to you know a right. different person, and they're, maybe
1: they, they've they've broken their own mind trying to justify things. Yeah, in which case now they're doing bad things almost as an innocent, but as a negligent one. Yeah. In other yeah. words, they didn't fix their own minds, and so now the bad things they do out of negligence not even purposeful thought
0: yeah it's it's real though yeah and and, and understanding that like because we have to always have compassion and empathy for for our fellow brothers and sisters period especially those that we don't agree with or those who would be at the top holding you know particular power because once again i you know if, if you were a part of a family That, uh, you know, has has been, you know, for hundreds of years, like, you know, a Rothschild, if you will, or someone like that, that's had all this power and money and influence, is privy to knowledge and information, Mm -hmm. uh, privy to a macro picture of all things and understands controlling and seeing how society operates, how, how people are in general, you would then after lineages of that, like after generations and generations of that information being passed down, would just be like, yeah, well, no one else is fit, but me. Like, I mean, we have all, we, we, you yeah, don't know anything. Think that, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, no, you're just privy to. Yeah, you're just privy to information. But like, but that's, but that's the thing. In their mind, like, right. no, well, anybody could do it if they had the same information, if they exactly. had the, like the same knowledge and, and, yeah. Yeah, and so there's difficulties like that where it's, it's just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, it's, it's a whole a lot
1: to overcome. I know, and I, and I,
0: I, I told you it was going to be a slight tangent, so I apologize. No, but, well, uh, I love it.
1: You know, can we take a short break though? Because I'd like to, um, Yeah, so this um, this reminds me of some of the personal experiences with, you know, you were talking about the whole, like, people who are being offed for for revealing um, too much information about, uh, you know, technologies that might be... um, advancing us and threatening yeah to to those yeah right right and and so that's something that actually has concerned me in the past i i have to admit uh i've been a little a little worried about that which is why i have been i am i'm sorry i'm not i'm not uh, the selfless hero willing to just die to try to get the information (laughs) out i'm sorry i i don't i have a beautiful um you know life with my my mate that i want to protect yeah and so i have been a little careful about it but i have been like i said i have been feeling like maybe maybe it's okay now you yeah. know, it's like yeah and uh, yeah. and so there there ha- there has been a, a thing of, of me feeling like it might be okay, but to give you a little a background on some of my own personal experiences um so right around the time I was doing a lot of research on this specific topic. It gets into the functioning of ring laser gyroscopes, so this is a part of technology that's used in all of our guidance weaponry uh there, uh, well i uh, fogs are like inter uh, interfer interferometric. Uh, optical gyroscope, I think is what an fog is. So it's basically, it's it's still part of this one particular effect. And it relates directly to relativity, the one-way speed of light, the ether, all the things they're talking about. And, and so this is, it's part of military technology. I was researching it before 9-11. And then... um or was it just? It may have been just after nine eleven when they started, but they were starting to scrub things off the internet. Mm. So I had been—I was researching it. I went to the Honeywell uh, website. They're a defense contractor, and I was—I had downloaded. Um, Things like information from uh, NATO on uh, on how you know the state of the art and uh, and I, and I wanted specifics. I was like, I got to know this particular piece of information because I, I you know I, I I talked to I think it was Bob Doyle was the name of the biggest uh, ring laser gyroscope in the U.S. Uh, he was in Arkansas and then there's one down in either I think it's New Zealand and I I contacted all these people all these people because this is. Very directly relevant to this central one thing, uh, you know, having to do with the ether. And um, when I went back to the the site, all this information had been scrubbed. I, I looked it up once. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. This is I, I know exactly how this works. And they're talking about how, and it's like this totally violates the idea of constancy. You know, it just doesn't even work with how they're explaining it at all whatsoever. It totally breaks it. So this is a, one of the you know my my main things I can use in this in this fight. And I go back and it's gone and I look all of it and just tons of stuff is gone. So I call them up and and they literally like uh, I call them up one time, get some information from them, call them back a second time. This time they're like, hold, we need you to talk to somebody. They get a different guy on the phone and he's like, OK, uh, you know, first off, I need to know what your name is, you know, who are you? And, and at the time I, I, I didn't figured there was anything wrong with what I was doing. So I gave them all my information. It's like, okay, so we have to report you to the department of Homeland security because, uh, this is, what? yeah, no, this is, this is part of our new, uh, as part of, uh, Homeland security measures. That's the reason why these things have been taking off the net because you're, uh, this is, and, um, You know now that we have your name there was somebody who was literally going to i've got it written down somewhere i need to like bring it back up he's like he was going to lose his job for to speaking to you about these things and but now at least that we have a, a way to because he should have he should have collected your information and uh you know and so i was i was reported to the department of homeland security for researching ring laser gyroscopes and here's the thing that's really interesting after that so that was you know just a little post 9 11 and where it was they were cleaning up the internet taking tons of stuff offline because uh you know prior to that point everybody was putting everything online yeah. like i said nato documents and stuff i could get to easily remember the anarchy cookbook yeah yeah right right <laughs> way back so, when <laughs> tons of stuff so so you know uh so i get reported and and i, I think that's you know that's really funny because i don't know i just didn't you know it's like i'm not doing anything wrong you yeah, know yeah. Why, why do i care Yeah, that's
0: way too early on. Now, you know, like what they were actually gathering, like the list to be on. Before then, you didn't realize what the Patriot Act was really going to morph into.
1: Right, right. So so at the time, I, I, you know, I was like, no big deal. (laughs) And uh, then years and years later... You know, I, I had changed computers, and you know, as you go from the, you know, you upgrade your computer to another one over the years. And uh, and by the way, I'm 46. I, you know, I'm 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 a bit older than I I uh, look probably, yeah. but uh, so
0: you a youthful yeah. youthful appearance,
1: right? I think it's the 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 feeling I give. so. Age age is really just a number, man. Nope.
0: It really is. It's a state of mind. So <laughs> you know, I justify getting older. Right, right. It's a state
1: of mind. It's just a state of mind, yeah. uh, So the uh, thing is, it was years later, and this document I had forgotten I even had on my computer was like layers of um, hidden in a you know in a backup of a backup of you know like that was three computers ago, mm-hmm. and I, and I just haven't been looking at my backups in forever. And one day I'm, um, you know, I'm doing my my normal stuff, but I kind of moved on from that a little bit. But one day I'm sitting on my computer, I touch nothing, and this is at a point at which a friend of mine he's being um, he's being threatened with thirty years in prison for just growing mushrooms, um, and Jesus. Uh, and like and this is some there's some crazy shit going on at the time, and. I'm sitting there just looking at my computer, doing nothing at all. And that NATO document from deep, deep in my archives that I have not accessed in, you know, like six or seven years, you know, pops up on my screen, open. You know, and that was like, that was, that was kind of like a message. It just because I was like, am I not supposed to have this? You know, this is a NATO document that I know has been removed from the net. I kept it. Mm. And it's like... It, it, am I going to be in trouble for this? You know? And that was one of the first times I'm like, whoa, maybe I need to chill a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and yeah. that was, you know, that was one of those ones where it was, it was a little scary. Cause that's that absolutely undeniably because I had not accessed that document in forever. There was nowhere in my documents. There's no way, no way to easily get to it, to open it. There's no, you know, it hadn't even been opened since it had been copied as part of backups to that machine. And yet it just opens out of nowhere without me touching anything. I'm sorry. That's absolutely unequivocally someone has hacked into no, your for machine sure. and opened it in your face on purpose. For sure, that was a message, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I was like, whoa, okay. That's the first time I've ever had anything weird like that happen. And uh, so I kind of left it alone for a little while. It, it actually kind of put me off uh, because you know, for, with my best friend, he eventually uh, uh, the the stress of it um, made, even though his father worked in the same uh, environment, you know, doing stuff with. Uh, what's what's it called Um uh, mesothelioma comes from asbestos asbestos they were working in the same thing his father didn't die from asbestos but he did because of all the stress of this stuff and uh, and so you know basically they killed him through just attacking him because he wanted to t- treat his depression with with you know uh, psilocybin and he didn't he wasn't even you know he was definitely was not selling it to anyone or anything but they just they you know came into his house under false pretenses pretenses and like i said threatened him with 30 years for growing his own mushrooms. 30 years was the threat. So, yeah. So and, crazy. and so, you know, this is all happening at the same time. Like, you know, maybe I just do not want to fuck with whoever it is yeah. that is uh, fucking with, you know, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that, was, that was scary.
0: So, well, you're all connected at that point anyway because you're already on a list after that phone call. Right. Uh, and if they're, you know, they know who your friends are, they're, they're monitoring everything. And if this guy was already on a list and you're connected to that, like, you're, yeah, it's even more yeah. uh, not looking good. Right. Yeah. So,
1: so I kind of backed away a little bit for a while. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, and then and I could just kind of, you know, throw myself into the neuroscience stuff more than anything. And, uh, uh, but the funny thing is, so then, you know, with the neuroscience and all this research, I, you know, I, I kind of had renewed interest and, in, you know, and I, I wasn't, you know, I'm no, I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm just, you know, I'm, I, I, I try to play, you know, fair. <laughs> I'm not trying yeah. to do, do things the right way. But, uh, and so I ended up, um, Picking the research back up, and that led me to Berkeley, and at this uh, this conference. And at that conference, I met um, you know it was a conference on consciousness, and uh, and at that place, I actually met some people that that told me after I gave a presentation there because you know uh, they you know some of the people like my work and I was that's what I was telling you that's how I met you know Walter Freeman and and um, they said yeah no you understand the CIA is here and they are listening and uh and and one of the things that they said specifically is you're fine you can talk don't build anything that was so weird to me because i was i almost like didn't believe it's like are you are you fucking with me are you but they, it's like you can talk about it don't build anything and somebody told me that here i'm like for real it's like I was like are you are you fucking with me Is yeah. that what's going on here but then I come to find out, you know, later on, as I, as I told you, one of the, uh, the major people now in, uh, that's kind of in the background that a lot of people don't know about, that's part of the UFO stuff. He, he, go, he does a lot of the, um, he does videos on, on the physics of UFOs, is Jack Sarfati. And he is, uh, well, admittedly, CIA. Mm. And, uh, and so there are, there are definitely people watching this sort of thing very closely. Oh, for sure. And, uh, sure. you know, and so, was, but, but like I said, I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, not get in any trouble. I'm trying to do things and, and, and the fact that I haven't gotten any real trouble, uh, as far as I've gone so far, uh, tells me that I, I think I'm, I'm in the clear. <laughs> You'll know when you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I think I yeah. Well. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, but no, for, but so far, I think, I think it's, I think it's okay to talk about this sort of thing without getting in trouble. Uh, and, and that's, um.
0: Well, what they, I mean,
1: once again, this is the this is the absurdity of the time we live in. This is freedom of speech. Yeah. You're
0: you're you're not you don't work you don't work for the fucking government. Yeah. You don't work for the intelligence agency. You're not giving away
1: any any national security uh, information. Right, exactly. because like, I, 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 yeah. I got the information myself yeah. from freely available sources on the internet yeah. at the time. They
0: can't do anything. They're no but, longer
1: on the internet though, was one of the things that, that, that kind of was that, that that worried me a little bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is I mean, this is the issue with the censorship and everything taking place now across the board. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a valid concern. Uh, And, you know, my brother had the same concern when he went into biotech because uh, his his first company was uh, dealing with immunology. And he basically, as I mentioned, looked at the body as a computer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything is information. And he was a hacker, a big hacker before this, uh, you know, computer science major and whatnot. And, uh, And he believed that there had to be information stored. Because you never get the same virus twice, Mm -hmm. so if you—if that's the case, then your body has to have a mechanism for storing information to identify any pathogen, virus, anything that comes back in it, to kill it on Mm site. So where is that stored? Where is that computer located? How do I access it? Because if I can access it, I can rewrite the code and I can change it so that you will. I can basically turn your body into a drug factory where I can have it produce any antibody I want at any time to heal you from anything, and that says one of his five companies is dealing with that and at first he was mocked naturally uh because of the yes. approach went outside of you know he didn't look at it through he wasn't indoctrinated uh in, into you know the medical schools and whatnot learning the same things he approached it from a completely different perspective and uh which is the the perspective of of information yeah this perspective of, of language in that regard uh and and we always worried and he did early on because similar to what tesla is doing what he's doing is threatening all the big pharma trillions of dollars Mm -hmm. like because if you don't need these drugs they're forcing you to take or convincing you you need Mm -hmm. uh, which most people very few people biochemically actually have need for many of these things mm-hmm. uh, and they ultimately cause more issues you know, which require more pharmaceutical drugs that they're going to give you and invent and whatnot. But if you can eliminate that same way with Tesla and energy where everybody has access to it, infinite, yeah. infinite free energy. And you can do the same thing with like, you don't need another drug again. Like I can just program your body to do it and it will do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're threatening a power system that is in place that uh, you got to be careful, and we we were very worried, justifiably so, and still are in many regards. You know, because it's only he's only progressed.
1: <laughs> My view is that I think that there are that the negative elements are actually because they are more free of moral compunction can have a, a, a larger impact. So it seems like there's there's a larger amount, or you know, it seems bigger and more of them than the, than it's actually really there. Uh, whereas I think that 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 we. If we view government and even CIA, like, for instance, I've, I've been very, you know, anti-CAA for a long time. But at the, at the same time, I feel like the truth of the matter is that maybe there are a lot of people who really get into these sorts of things because they want to make a difference. Mm. And all they, they can do is from the inside. And so there are good guys fighting on our behalf, for sure. And, you know, in these organizations that we see as very bad. Yeah. And 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 I think that without them in there, you know, and, and understanding that there are these people fighting for good things uh, within these organizations that, by and large, a lot of times really are bad. I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah, yeah. You know, well, they definitely don't have
0: the will of the people. In but but, but yeah. if they
1: didn't have these people in there fighting on our behalf, that it would be a lot worse. Yeah, and I think that that's a that's a significant possibility, and I and I, I choose to see that. I think that. That that's how things typically end up, you know, in any kind of large organization, is that you have a lot of people who are really well-meaning and trying their best within the structures that they can, and then there are the assholes who don't give a shit, yeah. who are capable of going around things and doing things, shortcutting things, and you know, uh, to to accomplish their more nefarious ends more easily because they're not because they don't care. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so. I've heard similar things, um, and I can't reference this, uh, so we'll just take it at, I guess, what I'm saying, and uh, in my opinion, and from things I've heard, is that the people who rule the world, whether the private sector or the public sector, uh, who rise to the the highest positions, are all by definition psychopaths, because people who have empathy, people who have compassion and care about their fellow brothers and sisters like care about the planet who have that part of them. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, a lot of people who go into these things to do good, who genuinely, you know, want a greater good done. Mm -hmm. They don't make it to the top. The people who are at the top are the ones who are sociopathic or psychotic in nature because they have no problem Mm -hmm. killing people, destroying the planet, doing whatever needs to be done to gain more, get more money, get more power, get more control. And it takes only a person who's wired that way, who's able to turn off, that part of their brain, or maybe that part of their brain is just not on the empathy, compassion, you know, component yeah. to it is just not there. And it's a really interesting thing. I don't know if there's a study done about it, but I, I, I know I saw some lady who wrote some books about it and she said there was when she put the one about, about, you know, people in control being psychopaths, um, like by, you know, clinical definition um, that like, that was one time there was a, a, a attempts made on her life and her family's life and things like that because there's you know i mean outside of once again there's there could be puppets right there could be politicians who are just you know charismatic smooth talkers who are but they're they're not in control i mean Mm -hmm. presidents aren't in control they're merely renting the white house for four years and eight years if they're playing ball but it's the people above them who are dictating legislation it's those Mm -hmm. lobbyists it's those people who you know ultimately fund all of this stuff. And I thought it was interesting. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's scientifically proven or how much there is actually to that, but it stands to reason if you think about it because what what it
1: takes to do that, yeah. I don't know if I'm capable of because I, that, I care about people. Well, I know. <laughs> I care about people. I think what it is is people can fall into justifications and, and, and compartmentalizing their own mind. And still, gen- here's the thing. I've seen some really shitty, shitty, shitty people who... I, I got to know so well that I understood it wasn't sociopathy. It was them making excuses and building upon excuses and people can actually make it where they don't even remember reality properly because they make the excuses so much and lie so much to others and get so much into their own lies that they they, they alter their own memories. Mm. And so their whole, mm. their whole view of reality ends up being skewed. And so they're kind of like, they're almost like this innocent Trapped by a subconscious that constructed a false reality, mm-hmm. and and so that's the I, I've seen that, and so it's like, what do you do? Here's the thing: when you see somebody doing really horrible shit, and you know that inside they're kind of an innocent, knowing that is kind of a burden because mm-hmm. you're like, you want to you want to be angry at them, you want to be like, you're a piece of shit, Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, then, and then you see inside, and you're like, whoa, but the, they they don't even really. They don't even really know what they're doing. Yeah, it's like they fooled themselves. They really fooled themselves. They yeah. actually did it. Yeah. And seeing that happen, because I've seen that happen. That's a, that's. I think there may be something beyond sociopathy. I think there for may sure. be that that I think that happens a lot. And so there's there may be there may be kind of excuse making and a lack of respect for truth. Yeah. There was a lack of respect for, 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 and willingness to sacrifice and pay the pain that following truth, because, because truth is a painful path. Mm-hmm. People will punish you and punish you and punish you for respecting the truth. Yeah. And so, yes. I, I think that that yes. is, a, I think that that's the issue and that, that with, there's so many, there's so many people who they just couldn't handle the pain of following a path of truth in their life. And it kind of sent them off in a course.
0: Yeah, it could just be also just the fragility of ego and story. Uh, and, you know, in the, the interview I just did the other day with, uh, with Jay Nelson, uh, who wrote the book on consciousness, um, talking about that uh, only 10% of our reality comes in through our five senses. Everything else is manufactured in our brain.
1: Yeah.
0: Everything else. It's either guesswork. It's, it's anticipating things based on reason, logic, programming, conditioning, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But it's, we're creating reality all the time that is only 10% different from a dream. Like, think about that. Like, that's fucking crazy. That, like, the 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 senses that 10% is what we think grounds us in the physical world, in reality. But our brain, and that's why there's all these illusion tests and things that he was, like, showing me, about, like, how the mind, I mean, the eyes play tricks, the ears play tricks. Like, the mind is constantly guessing, like... It's very limited in the, our senses are limited in the information it's getting and the brain is just doing guesswork. Mm-hmm. And that goes the same with, with story, with the things that we're telling ourselves and reinforcing that reality that we're creating and the things that we're building upon, like in the, the case you were just talking about, where you just tell yourself a lie over and over and over, uh, that you it becomes your reality. Like your, your brain manufactures as real as real can be yep. like it's, it's real to you.
1: I felt like it was this way. So it must be that way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. how it happened. Yeah, and then you remember it that way. Yeah, which is wild. Yeah, memory, man, memory. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. I mean, that's why the court of law. You know, when you talk about witnesses, you know, eyewitness testimony. I mean, there's so much that goes into that. Uh, we give way too much credit to our.
1: That's where where I there are these things that I, you know, in other words, like people tend to hate on religion. And I, you know, I went through that phase. I was I spent about a, about a week as an atheist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, at least, maybe maybe longer. I don't know. But the, the 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 point is that there. I think that there are all these systems that that actually were developed by religion, specifically for, basically, attempting to have some sort of thing that pushes you towards respecting the truth and paying the prices for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that that's kind of part of religion and that's yeah. something that ends up being lost when you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. There are all these spiritual practices that were kind of about, you know, maintaining the, the integrity of your spirit. And this actually gets into something that I wanted to talk about, which is neo-shamanism and the idea of mimetics, and if you'd like to cover that at some point we can talk a little bit more because this this book is is mainly and and i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. show it to the camera yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is, give us some love gonna, yeah exactly gonna be coming out uh next year i'm at least i fingers crossed should be coming out next year once all the editing et cetera. and it's the the return of ether it's going to be um mainly about you know the story of of how the ether relates to all these various things but eventually after i finish this book i wanted to uh write my second book I, that, that i already have planned i've done a lot of research and, and things like that for it. it's called the uh, the rock in the river and, it, and it's about you know consciousness and, and and really going down you know that path and looking at how all of these things relate to that
0: so we well, you know it's um, a good idea then Okay. And as a little segue, um, we, we'll, we can get to UFO stuff at the end. We're on consciousness now. And, uh, and I think this is a good, a good time to talk about it. Because um, I was actually thinking, well, we'll taking a leak. Um, and looking at the shirt I was wearing, um, and obviously growing up a, you know, a huge, huge Star I mean, Star Wars was probably one of the most impactful, influential movies ever to me as a child. Yeah. Um, for a myriad of reasons. But the thing that's crazy about Star Wars is the Force. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but thinking, well, Pien, uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to him about the correlation between the ether and the Force. Because if you look at the way that Kenobi and Yoda describe the Force, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's, it, it is so spot on to reality. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, so philosophically accurate in, in so many ways, and spiritually accurate, um, uh, it, it, and even at, like at a quantum level, and, and I mean, it, it's, it's, yeah, how, it's was,
1: how do you get there? Right? Yeah,
0: it's mind blowing. So I was curious, uh, and then we can dive into consciousness from here because this is a, a great jumping off point. Uh, what do you think about the, the ether possibly being the the inspiration for something like the force, or how how closely do you think they line up?
1: I believe that it's a a really um, fun idea. and and (laughs) That answers that. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Um, I try to stay as conservative as as possible about these things because the possibilities are so outrageous. The possibilities that you can go into are so incredible Mm. that I try to keep it back... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dude, yeah. 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 The, the very, you, know, you, you have to. You, right, you're you're right.
0: writing books and papers. You you, you yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And because it's 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 the the possibilities are so mind-blowing, so amazing that I can just leave that for other people to to see. Mm. And and you know, that's what you're talking about, is like with the you know, how how do people come to these ideas? Well, there's the if if let's say for instance that you know the the universe is a giant mind. Well, then um, let's look at at it like we look at our own brain. We've got these components like there's the Wernicke's and Broca's area. And one area takes care of interpreting speech and one uh, uh, takes care of producing it. And you could have a lesion on the, the part of your brain that makes it where you cannot produce speech. And you could just like somebody could just go in, cut that part and, right now, and you'd be able to understand everything I'm saying and just be like, don't know how to talk it's yeah. just gone yeah i can understand everything you're saying understand it just fine yet cannot produce speech mm. and this has happened with people who've had like uh cancer or you know things like that so they the reason why we've been able to see it. so so we ourselves are bunches of components that come together in a certain way in other words the what we think of as this consciousness is a it's a gestalt. It's just like if I were to take an uh, an engine, and you know, if I could just remove one of the parts, well, the, the engine stops working. Or if the timing gets off on it, it screws it up. And and but it it so you have to have the engine is not just um a pile of parts. Because if I give you a pile of parts, have I given you an engine? Would anybody be happy with me? You know, selling them a car that's just the car car parts. You know, uh, the engine requires. An, an association between things that is capable of doing something more than the individual parts are It's the structure of things. So seeing that that is kind of part of what makes our hive mind work. In other words, our own mind seeing our own mind is like a hive mind because there are interesting things that I like to talk about where you can take a, like a, a an army ant and put it on a, on a table and it just like go in circles, but then you put them within their group and through the various, um, um, pheromones and things like that they end up doing complex search uh, algorithms where they go fit in, they go out a random direction and go, to go in 15 degree increments they they uh, check a whole area and then they found that you know like the military started using this methodology for finding resources and you know the, the way the the intelligent things that they do where it's like you know when the when the water is not very deep well they'll just pile over each other and some will die and they'll just go across it but if it's very deep they can go up and clip the leaves and ride over on little boats. And there's these various intelligent things that happen through hive mechanics that basically happen because of the association of things. So if we see our own brains as this hive of individual neurons working together and then those, those having groups and those groups working together and and then don't stop at the edge of your head but start looking at all of society as part of this this functioning thing. And then so it has another layer. And then above that, perhaps there is The connections, when you look at the the way in which the magnetic uh, poles of the sun feed directly into the magnetic poles of the earth and and all of these things, perhaps they also play some role in in this information system that goes then connects out to the galaxy. And then the galaxy connects out to other things. And you have this huge single mind, but with layers and layers and layers that go all the way down and keep going down. Um, That would kind of...
0: um... Go to the notion, uh, which, you know, a lot of people have, and I, I think I subscribe to uh, as well to a degree um, that we're ultimately all an expression of that God source. We're experiencing where we're all experiencing this once as a part of that. Like it's ultimately feeding that ultimate consciousness, that ultimate mm-hmm. uh, knowledge, and that we're all the experiences of that. We are God in that regard. We are a part of that. Right. That right. same thing. And therefore, we are God experiencing this. Like in each individual thing, feeding that greater knowledge, that greater and even if you're just, you're,
1: you're, you know, God's pinky to say, I am God. So it's like, if I touch you on your pinky, you say, yeah, you touched me. Yeah. And it's like, no, you're just touched my pinky. What well, is there? Yeah. Is the vision really, which is echoed in religion too.
0: And yeah. It's funny. You talked about that earlier. Like, I I think people who you know not everybody obviously a lot of people you know are raised religious and stay religious (laughs) but there are people you know depending on how authoritative that might have been or whatever the case may be obviously we're all unique souls on our own journey anyway doing our own thing here so you know I People are going to do what they're going to do no matter what they're up If you have a calling, if you have a purpose type thing, like if you're wired a particular way, it really doesn't matter what that is. You're going to, you're going to, I think end up ultimately pursuing it um, to a degree, but that impressioning, those imprinting and things like that definitely affect you. Um, but where there was a departure from it. Mm-hmm. And then it, it was after that, it was almost like the rebellion. And now after a long period of time of, of researching and searching and, Every other possible explanation, whether it's from different religions, wisdom, teachers, science, uh, you know, into ufology, uh, quantum physics, all these other things. Part of me arrives back at a lot of these truths, like just a a different understanding of what was being conveyed that mankind has corrupted and used for, you know, bad things, whether to wage war, suppress people, keep the poor, poor, you know, and the rich, rich, all, all these things that, you know, religion has been used to do. But that does not negate the fundamental, profound truths that lie in there, that these things have been passed down for thousands of years, deliberately so. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think we've just lost connection with what these messages actually were, what they were actually describing and saying. But the truths are nonetheless. bathwater.
1: Baby and bathwater. Bath yeah. Always. Man, that's one of the things I've been saying so much recently because we're constantly either drinking down every bit of the bathwater because there's a baby in it or we're tossing the baby out with the bathwater we're doing one or the other just never anything in between we just that's like the the the, the human condition right there it's like oh there's a baby so i gotta drink an ocean of bathwater (laughs) yeah
0: i was it's like the pendulum like it's just like everything in society like we can't course correct back to the fucking middle to save our lives Mm -hmm. we go from one extreme (laughs) to the fucking opposite extreme and it's like no we didn't need to go like just cause a whole other fucking slew of problems just like we need to be here right in the middle like can we just yeah can't we just go there like why I, whoosh, and, like, and now and now it's going to cause the same thing like a whole different slew of problems that yeah. are like, in a different rebellion that's going to come like and it's then it's going to swing back together it's like don't you see like don't you see the patterns like mm-hmm. those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it like we we've seen this over and over again like why why are we incapable as a species of learning these things i don't get that like and, and i don't think i don't think that we're incapable of it i, I do think that they're just people who who dictate this and and you know uh, i
1: love the idea of the sin nature scene as just simply a, a mismatch of our instincts with the progression of technology in other words like we that it just happened too fast in other words where we our, our instincts were kind of designed i won't say no i won't say necessarily designed because let's not get into that but the they they are they were tuned by reality in whatever way reality does that which is you know through evolutionary pressures etc and then the environment changed super rapidly so that our instincts no longer work and instincts have all these different behaviors and things that that are very complex systems that are very touchy and they they and they're supposed to work a certain way and then now we're just not in that world anymore. So how do we you know, how do we get to where we are now and you know, and also have our instincts sort of match it. And I think that that's that's where that idea of sin nature, uh, you know, that from from, you know, Christianity for instance, comes from is this mismatch between things where it's like our our instincts are trying to get us to do these things that have to do with A tribe of 20 people, you know, who are are nearly primates and, you know, they're, they're just going and stabbing things and, and trying to bare their teeth and show their genitals in just the right way to keep a a hierarchy that allows them to be a team. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. and that's, 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 that's who most of us were, you know, that's, that's what we were designed kind of as by nature. And then now we're not in a, in a situation that's anything like that at all. And, and so if, if that's true, then we still have those things back there, but we're so also, we're so adaptive. We're so malleable. We can, we can still, we can make it here, you know, and do what we're doing now, but it's just, we get a lot of trouble from that, that, that pre-programming crap. You know, we got a lot of pre-programming still trying to, you know, tell us to do these monkey mind things. Yeah. You know,
0: and that, I think that's a, a part of, you know, what makes the human experience unique. And, and possibly what, you know, these paths to enlightenment and these wisdom teachers, these ascended masters, whatever you want to call them, uh, or gods, you know, um, were essentially trying to, to teach humankind in a way was this mastery over the body. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're, we're this intelligence, this consciousness occupying a carbon-based meat suit that is pre-programmed with all sorts of biological predispositions urges things that like make us you know not far off from the animals in many ways and uh, and if we give in to those desires constantly if we have no self-control if we have no willpower Mm -hmm. uh, it can lead to very bad things it can lead to destruction and realizing that we are so much more than this that this is not us uh gives that control ultimately a it's a freeing from being enslaved by the body itself
1: but here's the thing there's a balance between the two, and that's, that's part For of sure. what I believe is part of the, the Illusidian mysteries, uh, because you look at some of the, the mystery religion stuff that came up through Dionysus, mm-hmm. and, and, and basically the, the reason why they had these uh, connecting with the animal portion. And so I think that there are people who try to, it's like we're we're caught between angel and 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 monkey. You know, mm. we're like we're yeah. we're we're half of each. And and but but whenever you have these people who fight so hard against their their primitive self that they deny it mm. and deny its existence, then it tends to, if you've noticed, those people, those are the ones where it rebels the most. Mm. Have you notice that? Mm. Mm. Where it goes, no yeah yeah <laughs> it's like, no, it's like oh, oh this is the thing you're not that you really really don't want to do yeah you're doing it buddy yeah because you're screwing with me and so yeah. it's almost like we have this dual nature and if we don't have a decision between them that's one of the things i loved about stargate mm. you remember did you watch any stargate? Yeah, yeah, yeah the the idea of the tokra instead of the um uh the Gua'uld the would come in they take over the body and suppress the, the 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 being that was there so much that it was almost not experiencing, but it was trapped in, in horror. Mm. And and then the Tokra were the ones who they'd actually share the body as yeah. and, and you know they were actually talking about these concepts of of, yeah. of um, you know how how we deal with that part of ourselves. And I think that it's it's kind of you know that's 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 part of what these various you know mystery religions have been. Uh, some of these things have been lost. And I think a lot of it also has. It comes down to what um, they now term cybernetics, mm. which is not like cyborgs and then like getting your, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. instead, the way in which it, there's a crossover between shamanism and cybernetics, I, I would say. And that is when we start to see ourselves as these, um, information entities that are not lo- not necessarily local but we are basically we are nodes on a network and lots of different things share the processing space of our brain and let me explain this for people in a way that that can kind of they can relate to there was a program called seti at home do you remember that i know seti seti at home was a where you could install the program on your machine. oh yeah uh, buy it on playstation
0: they, yeah. they offered it for that. Like, they ran calculations, right, for them. The, it, runs,
1: it ran calculations for trying to discover it. Yeah, tests yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have that right? on my PlayStation and play on the TV and all the time. And all of them <laughs> work together in a certain way to, cr- to do one thing. Yeah. And so basically, it's borrowing computer time. Well, the other thing is something called a uh, distributed denial of service attack. Uh, you, and you've heard of those, right? You got the um, uh, DDoS thing, right? Mm, so, mm. A DDoS is basically they go in and a virus gets into your computer that you don't know about. And then at a coordinated time, all of the, the infected computers go and ping a, uh, a certain IP address or whatever. And so it basically what happens is it just clogs it up. So, But it's the coordination of all these individual units doing one thing. And so if you start to see us as part of a distributed computing network and, there, and that there are many things that share our consciousness, many sets of things that we can put, you know, we can think of Congress... As a single entity, even mm. though the individuals are changed out, mm-hmm. and, you know, we still think of Congress did this, Congress did that. We don't have a problem with that. But whenever yeah. we start to think of other sets of entities that we haven't put a label on that are, that have emerged anyway, that is something that is that's a I believe that that kind of was part of the idea of gods and goddesses and uh, things of that nature from ancient times that they understood this um, this part of us as um, where we played you know, played a, a home to these other collective entities. And mm-hmm. that it makes sense from a completely, from a, you know, processing, computing sort of, uh, and, and networking sort of perspective. And there's nothing, there's nothing magical here to this idea of gods. Now there's mm-hmm. also, this is also called like neosphere theory, where basically there are these spheres of, of entities that are, that are basically, you can put borders on them, but the borders are kind of loose anyway, because when it comes down to it, we ourselves, the borders between us and our environment the borders between us and our our close friends they're they're a lot who we are is a lot more malleable than being just these separate entities it's a lot more distributed in that way mm-hmm. and so when you start to under, have that perspective of things and this is kind of what what i call neo-shamanism which is looking at consciousness through this filter of understanding we may be playing the, uh, playing home to components of various entities, and so this this fits with a lot of the ancient teachings of, you know, being an, uh, being an avatar, for instance, and and our perspective of gods, and but then beyond that, so talking about the ether again, going back to the ether, if this if there is a computational substrate that its very actions are are just sort of creating this world around us, and I'm going to try to bring this back to the the, the force, yes. Uh, if if they if it's what's creating physical reality be, by its motions and rotations and you know and the way in which that uh, makes things work and so in other words we're not whenever we see something that we think is real it's just like seeing a vortex in water you know is the vortex the thing or is the water the thing just because it's clear we end up focusing on the vortex but the water is the thing that's mm. happening that's what's happening and so you know when we see ourselves and all of reality in this way this is a way of seeing us as the the thing that god is doing the thing that all of these spirits that are a lower level of god in other words like god being up at this huge level and being made of components of components of components of components of components and you know and we're we're just down here at a very very small level um then perhaps the way in which the thoughts of God kind of are are carried out, is in this physical manifestation that is just like there is something physically happening on that computer over there when I'm playing a video game, mm. playing a game, but then you know if you get an electrical engineer like no you're just there's just whirling drives and just you know uh zeros and ones zeros and ones moving around you're not playing it no i'm it's both at the same time both are happening Mm. and and when you understand that perhaps everything we see around us is a computation so in other words we are kind of in the matrix but it's not um it's not being it's not a simulation being done by something else it is what reality is Mm. is is this computational sort of thing that's happening then when we look at the way that our thoughts do turn into reality because they do in other words there is a way that's undeniable you think you move your hand you're controlling physical reality Mm -hmm. okay then there's a connection between it Mm -hmm. and then if we were to Put some electrodes in your mind that could, or in your head that can can determine what your thoughts are, and then connect them wirelessly to a little robot or whatever. You could think and make it move, mm-hmm. and we don't see that as magic in any way.
0: Yeah, I give the analogy too of that, not to, just because I think it's a good one. I don't want to take it off, but like for people to really drive that home and think about, yeah, i moving my hand. I'm moving my hand. Well, think about it from the arousal standpoint. You think about a a naked woman, uh, men, and that thought leads to a physical reaction that happens. Mm-hmm. Like blood flows to a particular region, you become aroused. One thought leads to that. Women, same thing. It's just, you know, the opposite. But like, but, uh, I'm not going to get into biology here, but, uh, but you get the point. It's a thought, one thought, Creates this physical manifestation that happens, like it, it's a, a thought that turned into a, a reality, a, a physical reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it always was one that I enjoyed. Like, oh, you don't think your thoughts have power? Right. Like right. you think one thing, and there's an immediate reaction
1: to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, so thoughts, and and you know what's funny? There was a there was a guy on, who was talking on um, uh, on one of the, the the rooms the other day that we I mentioned him J W or something. I think yeah, J W. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he actually—that's—that's why I was—I like. was blown away by it. It's like, man, are you reading the stuff from from our group? He must be. He, he just got to be because he actually brings up something that's been a conversation between me and um, a fellow from Rutgers who who wrote uh, cell language theory. And Basically, uh, you ought to ask your your brother uh, about cell language theory. But it's the idea that there is that the way that um, biological molecules interact with each other is. a a method of computation that is information containing and there's a communication happening between them through symbolic representation. So, you know, whenever you're talking about information and stuff like that, you have to get down, 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 keep getting down into how does information become action? Because it does. Mm -hmm. Information becomes things. It causes changes. So if information causes changes to to reality, then there has to be energy involved with that mm. there has to be something there has to be an energy component to information and this is the cutting edge of what physics is doing right now generally they address it through black hole physics that are they're looking at therm, thermodynamics at the edge of a black hole mm. uh and and looking at how is it that information beca- is is related to directly altering reality because it is it's happening yeah it's happening just when you move your hand it's happening yeah. information becomes reality somehow yeah so this idea that the spirit world couldn't be real, is ridiculous. If you simply see it as the way that information is impacting physical reality, then what's the problem what's the rub it's yeah. it works completely with every rational scientific concept that you might have it's, it's what we're we're looking at right now we know for sure information impacts reality yeah. and then we're just looking at the way that information impacts reality and how do you get at that and quantify it in a way that um that we can use for our benefit i suppose and and that is uh that's uh, also part of this that's uh it's it's all related together it's <laughs> it's really entertaining. So, do we do
0: you want to dive into more into the neo shamanism um a, into your takes of that because within that we can, you know, branch into potentially psychedelics or just consciousness as a pertains sure. to ether and everything therein. Um Yeah. Okay. Let's go that way. So,
1: so the idea behind, you know, neo shamanism and uh, and this is kind of there's other people who talk about it in different ways and you know whenever you're talking about something that's kind of new there's nobody who's who has control over it and you know and so it all depends on who who uses your your word first you know you yeah. <laughs> yeah, the word that you use for it or whatever even like for instance the neoclassical interpretation when it comes to physics uh i don't even know that that website because there was somebody David david delfinich i think is his name is a physicist who who uh who's been using the term for years before i was it, it be- and it was all about exactly i discovered him after i was doing my research and after i used the term neoclassical interpretation found his website afterwards and it's exactly about the same thing i'm like okay wow. yeah yeah <laughs> it's, yeah and it's like a neo neo dash classical physics dot info dot something like that and and he's in like i said he's right on the same path and I, and I was kind of blown away by that but so so going back to the the idea of neo-shamanism this is just the, the term that, I, that uh, i've coined for it. but before that richard dawkins um uh, basically is who i believe gave us a way for those people who were who um, have been um, i guess what's who are on his side generally mm. in the idea that everything spiritual is nonsense and all, all you know all that he gave the path for them to overcome that yeah i don't think it was i don't think it was on purpose i think it yeah. was accidental the irony that's great the irony yeah, is yeah, great yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. so so the idea of memes we use the term all the time It comes from dawkins but it's not about a picture and some funny text or anything like that well it's kind of that is descended from it the idea of a meme is an information a bit of information that's somewhat self-contained behaves like a biological entity and that is we find that they reproduce they mutate they uh, and there's like species of them and and then they aggregate into complex systems and then those have competition. And, you know, there's all these different things that happen in biology that we see happening in ideas. Mm. And if you if you look closely and watch, you know, everything that's happening um, in the world around you from this perspective, it makes perfect sense. You can. And the fact that we now have memes along after Dawkins meant it this other yeah. way. You can even watch those do the same sort of thing where they, they you know, they they break off into these these species where you have this one particular meme and then it gets added onto and it added onto. And sometimes you have these complex sets of them where they're all relying on each other. And it's really it's just kind of neat to look at them as like these biological entities that are that are in this their own sphere of competition, their own way of interacting with each other. And then they are all part of this informational world. So that's what memetics is about, is about looking at the way that information just tends to automatically add, aggregate, when it, at least when it's under the kind of computation that our minds, you know, uh, provide for it. Uh, when we provide this environment for memes to be just like genes, and so, you know, in in Dawkins in The Selfish Gene, his idea is that well, human beings we you we know, we're just the carriers of genes. And you know, the the things that that happen um you know, that that are the expressions of them, well that's all just for the purpose of the selfish gene. The gene is just trying to figure out a way to survive uh, and and compete and and we're just the expression of that. And so it's sort of using us in a, in a certain way. I think that's a kind of a an oversimplification in my in my opinion but it's a it's a useful tool i suppose for understanding uh the way that genes uh you know express themselves in phenotypes and and all that sort of thing so so it is i think it's a good idea you know and then looking at that as the the selfish meme in other words take his concept and then approach it from the selfish meme that we when we think of ourselves as these separate entities well I know I've got like 20 different you know cola jingles in my head that i can spout off to you like this i've got all this information that's been shoved into my head that i never i never you know gave anyone permission to use my brain but they're using it mm-hmm. and occasionally those things come up i make jokes about it i you know mm-hmm. and, and so there are things there are sets of information that are using me and sometimes like, whenever we go out and try to find something out well you know you'll get watching a television show. You, the, and there's a general set point of morality of the way that they're portraying it that says this is how a good person would act, and this is the and, and all of these are basically kind of like whenever you download a um, some sort of uh, program and there's a little check ma- check mark. Do you not 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 want this to take over your computer? Yeah. and you know, and you miss that check mark or just do do it wrong, and then you've got you've got some trash installed. You you're constantly being down you know uh constantly having things uploaded to you mm-hmm. and uh and it's kind of you know what if if we're able to have all these things that are information that are impacting our us uh, in ways that we don't even we don't think of we don't notice that are just there then are there things that would be like programs or the things that, are, that would be like hacking that would happen to individuals you know mm-hmm. if we're part of this network then can humans be hacked? Mm. Can and and that's the thing I think has been part of a dangerous set of technology that's con, that's come up through secret societies and and things like that for a long period of time. They've yeah. kind of known this, and that's part of been that's that's been part of you know what they've known and not wanted to share. That's part of basically magic. Yeah. In other words, that that is something in a way in which you are basically looking at the well, you know the the I, I hate to. I hate to use the what's it called, uh, Reductio ad natium. Uh and that is, you know, look at what he, what Hitler was doing, and that is he was um, he, he was trying to hack people hmm. and trying to you know get them to do what he wanted them to do, and he did all this practicing in the mirror of you know all of hmm. his his things to make sure that they were just the right way of doing it and and, and all yeah. that sort of thing, and and that's been going on for a you know, very very long time, you know the the. And just now that we know it as propaganda and mm-hmm. all these other words for it, it's kind of irrelevant. I think it's it's but so so here's the point is that there is this sort of idea of shamanism that we are constantly being we're encountering things that you can see as more simplistic entities like viruses or like bacteria that are ideas, that are these, but then there's more complex ones that can take you over and and let's say, you know, like a religion. And uh you know, or like a cult, or you know cults are just are just brand new species that haven't that haven't competed well enough yet, and which is why a lot of religions really hate them, yeah, because it's a it's a it's a new meme complex that's very powerful, and if it tries to as a as a brand new entity tries to enter the sphere where all the others are competing, they're going to kill it, yeah, um, and they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh so and and that is true of any kind of group new group of people who have a new way of thinking or or any of those things. Those are that's the genesis of culture. It mm-hmm. actually kind of starts at that cult level where it's just the first few people who are crazy. Uh, who are thinking in a different way, and in yeah. some cases, says, "Yeah, of course, there are some very destructive uh, cults and things like that that deserve to go." By the way, so, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, that's but, what Tesla was, right? <laughs>
0: you yeah. think about what he presented. Like, I yeah. mean, uh, it threatened a lot of uh, right, uh, and that
1: was competition. That's uh, the thing. Yeah. But then there are new ways of being, new ways of thinking that deserve to survive. But they that they just they can't survive long enough under the pressure mm. of these other groups of people who are participating in a group thing like congress you know there's yeah. there's a sort of natural association that automatically leads to them behaving in a way that that they're just not really aware that they're playing a part of a larger entity
0: it's interesting to uh, the way you lay that out um i kind of want to reiterate it, just make sure that the audience uh, gets it to make sure that i you know fully get it just the the idea that you know we we are essentially a computer and that we can be hacked, right? Information is the core of everything, right? right. Um, and so with the analogy of the video game, you know, what's real? Well, it's, it's real. No, it's just zeros and ones. Why well, I'm playing it. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's happening. Right. Um, that we're really no different if we boil things all the way down to the, the, the core of mm-hmm. all things. Uh, it's information. It's energy, resonance, frequency, and those things can all be adjusted. And so kind of looking at the, the idea of we're getting uploaded software, or like you know potentially a new program which is what these things are that they're hacking essentially our computer mm-hmm. and uh, a new download comes in which shifts our operating system or our or, you know we 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 start functioning in a completely different way or believing completely different things and I love that you brought up Hitler because one of the, during Project Paperclip, the some of the main people we took over, in addition to the scientists, were his top propagandists and society those those secret societies, and that's obviously what Hitler was. I mean, want we'll to talk about secret societies uh, and, and what the form of the Nazi Party and everything there, and they were deeply ingrained in the occult, Absolutely. like very much so. Another book recommendation for you in that in that vein, by the way, which one?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll have to. I have to. It's at the Hold house. Up, so okay. I remember, but yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but that. This information has been here. They've perfected it mm-hmm. over time. And now with the implementation of technology and social media, the power is absolute. Because now that message, where before the reach was limited, the reach yeah. of being able to program, to, to infect people with that new software, that, that mm-hmm. propaganda, uh, was, was more limited. Uh, the mediums were, you know, you couldn't reach everybody. Now you have their attention 24-7 and it is connected
1: to them and people are now it constantly directly to them. directly to them and here's the thing if you've got bad coding that has to go through multiple test stages for it to even to see if it can if it can function at all mm. uh then you know then all, then when it comes out the other side at least it has some level of function and that when we didn't connect to people directly through tv and things like that whenever you came up with some new idea or some new way of thinking or something like that the people who were real close to you tested it and then tried to pass it along but it would only really pass along if it were successful in some way mm. if it was suddenly yeah. it had some value and didn't just completely break you yep but now you can pass along stuff that will just completely break you yep instantly to huge groups of people and yep. that's p- part of what's been going on that is a huge issue where it uh, and this is something that that a lot of people who are in the science of consciousness talk about as well it's like so is you know are you cr- making people go insane through our technologies our technology literally hurting people in a way that we just didn't anticipate we're just like you know like prometheus kind of things where we we have we have suddenly reached this level where we don't know what's happening and how this is impacting mm-hmm. minds yeah because we didn't really think of that we we had it all simplified and we're like just rush forward and everything will be okay yeah and then we're like oops will we just or know. maybe they didn't know <laughs> maybe there's also that possibility there's
0: also that, possibility. Right. There's also that possibility. well it seems like we are now a hive mind yeah. that's what that's what technology and social media has done mm-hmm. it has truly created a hive mentality where before yeah, the message would have to be so compelling um so credible or something to be able to get the people who were receiving the message to go out and spread it to everybody else spread it to their peers mm-hmm. exactly spread information that way you don't need that anymore nope. you don't need facts you don't need shit like it's it's a direct whatever you mm-hmm. want and whatever you want to find, or whatever you know, uh, confirmation bias you want, whatever it is, you can find it immediately, and it was it's already targeted to
1: you, I mean, because they're listening to everything you fucking say. Yeah, I mean, and, so and that's the other thing is AI is listening to everybody. Yes. you say, and it's only driven by success. In other words, and success can be short term or it can be long term. Because here is the thing: a, a creature that is very successful in a petri dish is. Uh, you can make something take over Petri dishes really, 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 really fast. And you can keep breeding and selecting for just that. The faster it'll take over a Petri dish. But then you once you've bred it in that environment and try to release it in the wild, it will fail utterly. Because mm. your idea of what the what is survivable is limited to a Petri dish yes. specifically. And so, you know, just because it can... Compete over the short term because that's really fast growth. You put some other, some other thing in there in that that fast growth because it's it doesn't grow as fast. It'll outcompete that thing that grows a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. But then you go in the wild, and there are these effects that are basically gestalt. There are these effects that have to do with you know. A, circumstances that are far more complex and happen over longer periods of time. So basically there is this short term strategy that is wins in the short term and destroys the environment such that it can't even it, it it destroys itself. It's self-destroying because it's so successful only in a short term and doesn't balance long term with short term. Mm. There's short term successes and then there's long term successes. You balance too much towards one or the other and you're no longer competitive. And so, one of the things that can happen in these kinds of environments is you can have this boom bust of things that are only successful in the very short term, but destroys the organism that it's that it's in. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why, for instance, Ebola doesn't uh, it is not very good competitively. Because it kills you too fast. Yep, exactly. It's not it's it's its short term strategy is shit. I mean, well it's it's a good short term strategy. It reproduces in a single body. Yeah. But when you look at it compared to other viruses, overall it's shit Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have the ability to keep the the the, its substrate. It doesn't have the ability to keep its environment going long enough for it to perpetuate out to perpetuate over time. Yeah. So that's the thing, is people see these short term wins. And they don't understand it's a long-term failure. Yeah. and so they're, they're, this happens all throughout um, everything from economic theory to you know just yeah. individual relationships. and it, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing to see that these, there's these balances that nature handles really, really well, that we just fail at, yeah. utterly, all the time. Yeah. And, and so, so, so some of this taking control that people are trying to do with propaganda and stuff like that, they think that they're being successful and destroying that which they and that they wanted it's just like mm. um i always would fight with my dad and, and this is something i said a long time ago you know about you know i i, I believe that same idea that maybe everything is just sociopaths running everything mm. i was like yes but at least be a good sociopath because if you're, if you're good at being a sociopath, you, you'll you feed your animals at yeah, the very yeah. least. Yeah, yeah, make sure you know it's like, oh, I'm really winning by never feeding them because that's extra profit. In my, you know, yeah, so, yeah. and then they're your gonna animals die, die <laughs> or they're thin and they don't they have yeah. low birth weights. And, they, and eventually, the system is crippled by your stupidity. Yeah, you're an imbecile as well. You're not smarter than everybody because you're getting the most out right this fucking second. Yeah, you're an imbecile because you haven't made it survivable over time. Yeah, and that's the thing is sometimes that there are con men and things like that, that they, they have short-term strategy. They yeah. do not have long game. Yeah,
0: they burn all their bridges. And then <laughs> exactly. like, people know they're a con man like, and then, exactly. then, then they're done. And that's yeah. the
1: problem with sociopathy. And that's why it's not the, the the surviving thing in mankind because it's wrong it's broken yeah. so, sociopathy not caring about other individuals is a short-term strategy and it is it is not survivable it's not what life does yeah. life doesn't do that life is something that ex- it can exist for billions of years yeah so there's there is a heart of love in the very code of of how everything works because it's there has to be a balance of short term and long term. And it has to be something that can exist over time and it's something that can exist with itself and as it changes and as it grows into all these myriad yeah. things. And so that's that's one of the things that, that is is neat and watching these people fail to be proper shamans. Because yeah. that's what they're doing, is they're jumping into the spiritual world and and screwing with things that they don't understand and fucking it all up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You know, and the idea, too, of just like symbiosis, just to go back to the idea of um, the, the soul, the consciousness, the spirit, and then the physical form that it's occupying. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about people spending too much time, you know, on the outside and then the physical form is going to rebel against it. Yes, this is our experience, but it is also what we're supposed to be experiencing and mm-hmm. embracing. Like we can't be at odds with our physical form uh, because <laughs> right now this is what we have. Like uh, and, you know, as much as we all want to you know, speculate and, and, you know, do the research we still don't, nobody knows what really lies beyond because no one's coming back from the other side. <laughs> like, and so, I mean, we, we have ideas, I mean, which is what everybody's searching for, right. You know, it's mm-hmm. the fundamental purpose of uh, I think of, of what religion and what, you know, so many of these things give people is, is uh, purpose, uh, is community and it gives them solace for what comes next. The unknown, the great unknown, and that's enough because those things will plague you otherwise. And and even atheism is a religion in of itself. You're putting your faith in something. Your faith yeah. is that it's nothing like that yeah. is, Like it's, I mean,
1: the faith is don't don't worry about it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. but that's that's a faith. Like it is. It's, it's a belief, and uh, you're yeah. putting your faith that all means nothing. And yeah. like uh, and if and if it doesn't, well then yeah,
1: fuck yeah, it's kind of freeing. I mean, I can see yeah. what the appeal. It's like you yeah. just don't don't fucking worry about it. Don't matter anyway. Yeah. Okay.
0: But it all requires like this, this, this symbiosis. That is what's in nature. That is a perfect balance. We must strike that balance with all things. If we truly want to be happy, we want to thrive, we want to perpetuate. Like, you, know, the, the, you have to find because if you go full board, it's done. Like, yeah. you know, the, the brightest stars burn out the fastest type thing. You know, like, uh, it's... Yeah. It's a lesson, you know, that is, once again, passed down through through wisdom teachings and, and through many religions, uh, is that the balance is
1: moderation in many ways. Yeah, a middle way. Yes. There's a middle way. And yeah. the funny thing is, even that we've done wrong, by the way. I know. I just, like to, just talking about a neuroscience topic, uh, uh, going to um, antidepressants, one of the ways in which they they work is... Mm theoretically they think the the idea was well something's messed up with your serotonin well let's give you more serotonin yep. and that's which is a, such a Simplified view of things because yeah, yeah. our brain is made up of all these different serotonin receptors that are the symphony of, of sensitivities. Yes. In other words, it's a chemical, but then the sensitivities, the various sensitivities, are what make up a symphony of, of things that have to fire in the right times and the right. And, and that symphony can get a little discordant at times, and then we end up with depression and stuff yeah. like that. But what they do with, uh, with selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, mm. the idea is just. Make sure that you're that the synaptic cleft, which is where you know the chemicals go across, you have to recycle chemicals. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, instead of taking it back up, just trap them in there. So you just get tons and tons of serotonin. And then when your body determines that you have too much of a chemical, what it does is it reduces the sensitivity to mm-hmm. it. So then basically what was a symphony becomes this crushed down single note. Yep. It's like, let's reduce all of these different various levels all to one single note. Well, now you're on an even keel, but you're also completely dependent on the chemical. Yep. So it's, yeah. both, it's both taking your symphony to making a single note, yeah. and then making sure that because after you after you do that, your your body's been adjusted. The amount of of uh, ligand that you pr- produce ligand, I, 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 yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the the amount that you produce also ends up being changed, as well as the receptors that are sensitive to it. And so there's just we take these simplified. Brute force methods because sometimes it's it it's just the simplest quickest path to a short term solution. Yeah, and it's like okay, you know, make someone not crazy right now, and yeah, uh, yeah. and and it does you know you don't have any disturbing visions because there are people who have a lot of you know very disturbing effects that happen to them mm-hmm. and their life is in danger and so you know just like you got to cut on somebody's heart when they're about to die. And yeah, yeah, you don't want to be doing that if they've got like a you know. They feel a little off. Yeah, (laughs) so we go cut their heart. You know, and so that's so we end up making these tools that are these like sledgehammers to cut diamonds with. Yeah,
0: (laughs) well, it's also just like you know, it's like a symphony. It's high notes and low notes, Mm -hmm. like peaks and valleys. Like that is that is life. Like highs and lows. Uh, And you, if you try to create balance and uh, you know um, symbiosis, doesn't mean. Just a one. neutral fucking one, exactly. one, one note, one playing field. It is. It's the combination of all things. That's what creates balance. It is the the highs and lows. That is what makes life worth living. That is where you learn your fucking lessons. You you experience the most growth in the lows. It's not the highs. The highs yeah. don't teach you much. I mean, like <laughs> it's. I mean, they're 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 great. But like you learn far more when That's you're in the true. shit. Like when you're suffering and when you know uh, what is it?
1: I don't know. There's there's times that, that the being in flow can really be uh, oh no, well, valuable to. For, for sure. Yeah. No,
0: I mean, it, it's, it's but, by far preferable. <laughs> I mean, 100%. But it's, it requires both. And I mean, some of the most, I think, profound no doubt. Uh, lessons, you know, because ultimately, I think it's the lows that lead to the highs. You know, some of my greatest uh, accomplishments in life led from like, hard work in the lows, digging, clawing, fighting, and then that led to a massive high. like a massive massive high and so it's not you're and yeah the high you then learn that like all of the stuff you were doing in the lows is what led to the high like it's what led to you getting there because if you didn't do them then you'd still be low like and and so if you didn't learn from them you know it's the same thing people don't learn from history doomed to repeat it like um it's it requires both that's i think what real balance real symbiosis is it's not that let's create one note let's create apathy Uh, in in many regards no we we need all of them but yeah and we talked about this too the the other podcast just the idea of depression by and large uh it's not a permanent thing i mean very few things are biochemical in that regard where there's an actual deficiency a lot of it is life choices a lot of it is the state of the world uh you know bad relationships shitty jobs like just you know uh, trauma shame like things that like can be worked through right don't require a fucking band-aid they just require work yeah like a little bit of surgery maybe to like you know find out what it is but then you're healed
1: yeah, yeah and then, exactly. yeah sometimes a little kick start but just not trying to do it all manually in the yeah. other words, there's there are these systems that have been been designed over billions of years that actually work well if you just kind of like yeah sometimes it gets stuck in the mud and you gotta like you know you, you ever if you're good at getting a car out of the mud which I, which i am i'm good at I learned yeah. this early on you don't just push all at once you get everybody to go push let go yeah push yeah, let yeah, go. yeah, yeah. push let go and that's how, that's kind of a lesson of life that i learned from like as a kid it's like that's how you get the car out you don't just just try to push Rrr. yeah, that's not gonna yeah work. you're not gonna strong arm you're gonna go with yeah, it yeah you, gotta, yeah, yeah you gotta find that resonance that's gonna make it work yeah yeah, yeah so it's uh, you know there's some some interesting lessons that we can take let, let's 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 try to bring this all back to the the uh, UFOs. Yes, and, uh,
0: literally read my mind. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, let's and, let's get to ether and UFOs. So and Tesla with yeah. his craft yes. exactly
1: now here's the thing i have not yet read all of that book because he does get in now a lot of the book i was like oh yeah yep he's right on the right track there and I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through it you know seeing that he's talking about a lot of the same history that i do and, mm-hmm. and i was like oh yeah of course right you can mm-hmm. see it on this history and this history and this history and so I, ha- I you know i still need to find the points at which where he's talking about where it is that specifically there was cover cover up the, and the interesting thing that you did bring up is is this idea of uh, Tesla ending up selling his stuff to the Nazis. I did not know that. Yeah. And, and so I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah. ooh that's juicy. I got to dig it well, that. And
0: that, And that leads so much more to the Nazi bell, Deep look, everything that happened there. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, there's speculation. I don't know if I necessarily believe it, but it's also very probable that the the two Crash craft and Roswell were, in fact, you know, the Nazi mm-hmm. bells. But there is, you know, alien bodies that were discovered. So I I don't know. But uh, it's his whole take with it, which is very interesting as far as ufology goes, um, which I think is also very probable. But I still subscribe, which we've talked about. I believe it's a mix of both. I believe it's Mm -hmm. us and them. Uh, I believe we've been in possession of this technology either since, you know, the 30s and 40s with these various crashes um, or since what Nikola Tesla cracked. And uh, and and what was then done in a clandestine way ever since, yeah. and uh, and either way though, but if that's the case, and he says like you know he pokes holes in ufology, and he basically says that ufology or the UFOs are the biggest counterintelligence ploy ever that it's always been us, and they created the illusion of UFOs to cover up the technology that they had, so that yeah. nobody would like know. And I'm like, okay. Interesting, yeah. but that still doesn't account but for the thousands of years prior to that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It may be just yeah. his, his speculation. Yeah. So, you know, people are going to weave, weave their own feel about yeah. things into it's it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't subscribe and, to it, like, right. but I, I, yeah. Exactly. I, I feel like that, that may be what's going on there. But then what I want to add here is then if we are these, these we have to think about all this information and the way in which we've got all these ideas that can infect people that are like viruses. Mm -hmm. There are these ideas that are harmful, that are helpful, that are, and all of this is going on in our world. Then, then there's this question of exposure to um, uh, toxic entities that have to do with like, just like we think of exposure to a virus uh, is important, you know, in a certain way, if you get a little bit of exposure to it, you can defend yourself from it. Any kind of integration with any other society would have to think of that whole spiritual aspect of a new civilization that might enter it. All of their dirty laundry, basically. All mm-hmm. you know, their bad ideas, their good ideas. Their, that whole thing can be a, a big lump of toxic stuff. With viruses that may be that other another civilization might even be susceptible to, mm. you know, where they could actually harm them. Uh, and so there's there's even that kind of consideration yeah. that any uh, alien species would have to make is that you know what about our ideas? Because we are more than just our bodies and the physical world. We are. Our ideas as well yeah. and so i mean you know a lot of times when people have talked about this this psychic connection and the you know using the mind as part of you know the way that the alien craft are controlled and, yep. you know that really of course that makes sense for sure you know, we're already trying to c- control our computers with our minds you yeah. know that any any advanced civilization they of course they'd be doing that and then at that point, wouldn't they have already understood all of this? Wouldn't they already understand yeah. that there's all these ideas and things that you have to you have to account for? And then mm. there's this whole basically a computing substrate that we make up, where you know we've got to watch out for viruses. We got to figure out. We got to create a whole immune system around ideas, and you know, and we mm. got to make sure we have that. And, and you know, because of the interaction of ideas, that's going to happen at very rapid speeds, and that's going on right now. We just we just haven't figured out the whole having an immune system thing properly yeah. in our, you know, our, our, our adaptive, our
0: adaptive immune system needs to compensate for information or for, <laughs> yeah. for ideas. And and, exactly. uh, and yeah,
1: and we, so we've got to ha- start building an, a, a mental immune system uh, and that works that doesn't, that doesn't you know, that doesn't attack ourselves, that doesn't, you know, because there's so many different ways an immune system can screw up, right? Mm-hmm. And if we try to do that with our minds, I think that that's part of what religion has been doing for thousands of years too, is trying to create the right balance of an immune system, of a security system, of a way of, you know, having a balance between being exposed to new ideas and also being able to find that core that, you know, so you can continue to function. And and so that's kind of, the, that's the, that's the neo-shamanic way of looking at things, that mm-hmm. there are ideas that that are, when I mean, you see ideas as entities, then mm-hmm. you then you're kind of in a in a semi shamanic world. Now, I think that this is a very topical layer that there are layers deep underneath this that that other shamans are, are actually more involved with where nature spirits and things like that are real things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, for instance, yeah, like I would say that I could say the spirit of the wolf moves the waters and it'd be a, a way of talking about the keystone species of wolves the way that they impact the cascading events, and this is a well-known thing, that they actually change the where the riverbed, uh, where the river, um, the edges of the rivers are and things like that in Yellowstone Park because of their interaction with all of these these um, interdependent systems between the the how far out the beavers go depending on the grazing mm. habits of the uh, of the or caribou I think and you mm. know and all these things and they yeah. because they change the environment and make them more makes yeah. it more dangerous for them if they you know and so it's just yeah. so basically the spirit of the wolf moves the waters is a true statement. It's just it's just abstracted from it. And, you know, and so and so this seeing these things in a spiritual perspective, I believe that there are that uh, the the shamans that are out in the rainforest and things like that, they're keyed into the spirits that have been there for billions of years. The things that are complex systems that make up mind like entities that are that have been there for, you know, like I said, billions of years. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's all that's that's something that is, you know, kind of below. Uh, the level of what I'm talking about with our own our civilization and our silly thoughts and, yeah. and all that—that that this is kind of this, that our new—that's kind of a child almost. Eh? That's kind of a half crazy, you know, child yeah. Uh, yeah. entity, and that their neo shamanism is actually trying to interact with that. And and, and in the pa- and in in the near past, we've fucked that all up. But and anyway, that's that's what's going on there. So then let's take that and applying that to. You know, the technology and and, and things like that, I I guess I'd have to talk about the neuroscience aspect of this really briefly. So one of the ways in which you you, you represent information is through configuration. In other words, it's relationships between things. That's how representation occurs. That's how you have information. Information has to be, and then furthermore, it's my theory that I've proposed to, uh, you know, this community of scientists that I interact with on a regular basis, that there is a requirement of resonance. In other words, it's called coupled oscillation in, uh, in more technical terms, where there's a requirement of resonance to the structure. So it's actually geometric in nature. There's a geometric configuration of things at the lowest levels that have to be able to create resonance patterns with other things to be able to make these systems where there is that 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 is the nature of information of inter this that is how representation occurs and because of its energetic ability to impact the other because it is a mirror of it that is how the information storage it transfers and actually impacts other things that are distant or not directly touching or things of that nature. So, that, so this is a way of seeing information as a geometric configuration thing. So, looking at this from the way that the brain works, we have these neurons that are the long things, and then they branch out into these dendrites. And those dendrites all they touch different neurons, and and they kind of whenever whenever they're touching a neuron, lots of different Neurons are all going, and they're all branching, and they're all crossing each other and touching these other, you know, neurons, and at the at their ends. And there's kind of like this weird voting system that goes and des- determines whether it fires to the next set of, of neurons. But so you have these branching things that are like these trees of dendrites, and it is it's my hypothesis that, um, and based upon a, a variety of things, and I've actually put this into some uh, into one of my first papers, uh, that the the structural configuration of the dendrites, the shape that they grow into, is what's storing information because of, well, this goes back to the Bowman-Pribram model and holographic mind, and, but it's just basically, it's a wave shaper. In other words, it shapes the waves that come off of it as the electrical signal goes across it. The, there's waves given off, and then those shapes and the way that they interact is what stores and configures information. And so that's how the information is occurring. Relating this to electromagnetism, electromagnetism uh, we we going back to all the way to the start of this conversation with ether is the motion of ether that when electromagnetism is happening there are these there there are these flows of ether that are that are vortices and then and, and around them you have these threads and so all throughout through, all throughout the invisible space uh, around us are these, these super tiny threads called vortex filaments. And there's a common thing that happens in superfluids. So we actually do have models of this that occur. And they are very, very uh, dendrite-like. And, and, and their configuration uh, could actually be one of the ways in which the information is being stored in the substrate here. But here's the thing that's interesting. When you look at the way that electromagnetism works in the formation of the actual dendrites, in other words, what shapes the tree as it grows? Because there's these growths that are changing and storing information. As you have experiences, what's causing that? Well, it turns out that the electromagnetism uh, interaction between the astroglia and and the dendrites makes it where as as the waves are are changing the uh electromagnetic charge the the uh the ionic charge in the astroglia that can actually pull neuron these uh, the dendrites the ends of them towards it so it actually shapes it so as the information goes across the shape of it changes because it's it's tra- tracing and tracking after some sort of electromagnetic wave that came through and left its impression on those fattier cells called the uh, astroglia. So there's basically these two systems. So so trying to recap here, you have this way in which the brain is being shaped by electromagnetism and it's the coordination of these electromagnetic waves in the brain that are processing and storing and the, the information, the way that it's working. How does this relate specifically to electromagnetism, however, is that electromagnetism automatically has these, these little threads. These uh, that I, And I'm not sure the scale of them because uh, this is this all comes from all the way from 19th century physics and, and there, are, there are modern physicists, physicists who are actually exploring this um this model of electromagnetism as well i've just recently found that that that, that's one of the things i talk about here is this revolution is, is actually already happening i'm not you know calling it into being it is happening in the background but just people aren't They're not allowed to talk about it with specific words. There's not much coordination Mm -hmm. between the individual scientists who are doing Mm -hmm. it. But when you dig in, you find them all coming to these same conclusions that all have to do with a superfluid medium, has to do with these vortex filaments. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's uncanny how it's all coming together. So the thing that you find out is that um, have you heard of Stuart Hameroff and the Hameroff and Penrose, um, it's called orc or, uh, which is orchestrated, uh, objective reduction. It's basically this model of, it's probably the most well-known model of how brain functions that's outside of the, uh, mainstream that, um, you know, he, uh, Stuart Hameroff, he actually, I, I've talked to him a number of times. Uh, he's, he kind of puts on some uh, consciousness conferences and, and things of that nature. And, um, he used to be in our group. He, I haven't seen him recently, um, but but he's cool and I, I like what he's doing. But I would I would add a slight deviation to it specifically because you have to base it on these on this version of physics, and he's trying to base it on the other interpretation of quantum mechanics specifically, and that is the um, microtubules. That's that's the, a huge basis of what he's talking about is the microtubules. And, and he's trying to look at it from the, each of the physical pieces, whereas the thing that's important to me is that a microtubule seems to be behaving like a superconductor, and what that means to me is that um, if you've ever watched uh, what's called the Meissner effect, where you have like a floating thing that goes around, and you know that you've ever seen that that sort yeah. of explain though just so Meissner effect is is where a superconductor um, is can be trapped uh and a magnetic field and it can be it can hover and it actually kind of sticks it in there and it's through a process that they call flux pinning and that is that they know that there's these lines of uh, of force is what they call them and that's that's actually what faraday called them and that's what maxwell called them is the lines of force well what are these lines of force they are vortex filaments and that's also Vortex filaments are what Maxwell called them as well, but we don't say that anymore today, as in 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 polite company, polite academic company. Um, but the, the uh, so the here's the thing: they they the lines of force appear to be stuck inside where they have to like kind of they're pinched and held together in one place, and then they can't move, and that's what's causing this levitation to occur is that they're kind of latched on to the structure of space. Now they don't want to say it like that; they're saying it's the it's it's trapping components of the magnetic field and of course if you start digging into what a field is they give you nonsense answers uh, but so here's the thing so what flux pinning is is trapping the the vortex filaments that are always part of what electromagnetism is it's as, as it's happening it's the flow of ether and the little vortices that are required for it to gear against itself and so these these filaments are there and it traps them but here's the thing the microtubules seem to be behaving like a superconductor and doing this flux pinning sort of maneuver with the flow of ether. So in other words, our brains may be literally doing this configuration of the ether that we're like it's it's like we're weaving the fabric of ether as as our thoughts occur we're shifting the and, and combining and moving these filaments around that are all around us that make up this computational substrate so that's so if that is the way that things work that we're basically down at the the smallest level we have these these interactions between these uh these these filaments then it really kind of uh, opens up the perspective of how the information coming in, flowing across us, it, how, how is that recording, or how is it impacting the recording? And that's why I, one of the things I said is that the name, name of my my next book is The Rock in the River. And something I like to, to point out is that there are these scale-based effects that are that confuse people. It's the, this The primary confusion humanity always faces is this one specific idea. And it is whenever something is a feedback loop and that it is, it, it's interdependent. You know, words, the interdependency of it. So like when you look at what, you know, what is uh, making the shape of a river? Well, you think, well, it's the banks. The banks of it are, are creating the shape. And that's looking at it from our speed of time. But look at it over a thousand years and the, and the river's just whipping around like this, pushing the dirt around and it's shaping the land. And so when you when you ask yourself... You know, uh, it the the rock moves the river and the river moves the rock. There, it is only through the combination of the water and the riverbed that you have a river. Is it is a combined entity and it doesn't exist on its own. A Water on a floodplain is not a river. An indention in the land is not a river. It's only through the combination of those two things that you have a real river. And so, if you look at at, at ourselves as as playing this this smaller component of God where we actually are playing one part of it. And then we look at our own minds in that same sort of perspective that, that there, there's information that's impacting us and then we are impacting that information. And so it's this, this, this computational sort of thing that happens at the edge at the border of as the, 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 the river is moving the rock and the rock is moving the river that that is kind of that edge is where we exist at that borderline.
0: So let's bring that back though. I have to reel you in on this one from the scientific, uh, right. the, the scientific stuff to make sure that uh, uh, it's it's still digestible. Um, how does this pertain to uh, Tesla's electrogravitics, or you know, just uh, anti gravity okay. uh, in general within the so ether?
1: In each of these perspectives, what you're trying to do is is stir up the ether, um, and, and in one way or another. In other words, how do you? Um, when you're made out of vortices, how do you, um, move the, 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 thing that you're made of? And, uh, and that's always, um, like the, the, the technology right now that is probably where you will find the, um, the, what looks like hiding to me specifically is around the, it's called the, uh, I've got the notes here, Gravito Magnetic London Mo- Moment, I believe is the name of it. And, uh and what it is you'll find is that I'm, try, I'm trying to I'm trying to put this together because there's so many uh, angles I could come at it from. Gravity probe Pro B, and um, and this one-way speed of light, and a um, a wide variety of technological advances all come back to rotating superconductors. So, one well, of the first anti-gravity things that showed real um, real workable effects was the taking of a a superconductor and rotating it at high speeds. And I forget what the name of the the first fellow who did this was. And, And what they ended up finding was that there was a gravitational effect that occurs. So in other words, they're able to do sort of a flux pinning sort of maneuver because it's a superconductor. And because of that, then through rotating it, what they're doing is causing the ether to spin up in some way. So, so there is this relationship between the spin and rotation, and this is actually part of my most recent paper. I actually tied together gravity and uh, electromagnetism through the ether in that paper, and that is that gravity is basically the average rotational aspect of the ether, and uh, and so when you change that, what you're doing is changing the the gravity. Of, um, that is occurring in that area. So the rotating superconductors, that has been, you can find, there was news about that uh, like through ESA, the European Space Agency. They had these tests where it was m- you know, like millions or billions of times larger than expected, the effect. And, and instead it, it sort of goes quiet. And, and during my research, I found a single uh, guy named Clifford Will, who is re- who was also involved in what was called, I remember I just mentioned, Gravity Probe B. Why did I bring up all these weird side things, just because I was trying to get them together into one thing. And that is Gravity Boat Probe B also used rotating superconductors. And it was supposed to be this big experiment that would determine, you know, the way that gravity works. And then suddenly, after finding very anomalous readings, it goes dark and you never hear about it again. And it's, well, it's, it malfunctioned what are you talking about in malfunction and in what way and you know what exactly do you mean by mm. malfunction and you can trace all these things down to rotating superconductors over and over rotating superconductors are and that is and like i said it's the um uh, what was that oh the geodetic effect is is part of what they were uh, looking at with uh, with that so this is how does this relate to the, uh, that technology, it has to do with churning up or moving the ether in a way which alters gravity, which has to do with all of these rotational aspects to the ether itself. So I don't know if that, that answers your question. The, oh, here's a,
0: correct me if I'm wrong. I could be butchering this, but didn't Tesla kind of come to the conclusion where I think we, we've accepted or believe that gravity is the strongest force Right. I mean, and that like uh, within Newtonian well, physics no. or, the, or that, like, but the Tesla believe that electromagnetism was stronger than gravity. Like, yeah, that,
1: no, that's and that's absolutely that's what uh, what's believed today as well. That, that, OK, that gra- gravity is a very, very weak force.
0: Uh, and so what am I thinking that something that had to do with gravity? Why do I feel like maybe it's this prevalence?
1: I don't know. Uh Yeah, it seems very large to us, but it's because it's, you know over such a, uh, a, it seems to impact such large things, I think.
0: Is yeah, point. yeah, maybe, maybe, I can't remember. That's why I I was, that's why I prefaced it with, I could be butchering this. Mm-hmm. But um, but that has to do then, um, so I'm sure you've seen Bob Lazar. You're familiar, obviously, with Bob Lazar, mm-hmm. yes, and, and his interviews and his explanations of anti-gravity propulsion systems and how they operate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I've watched that
1: much specifically of what he said there, but
0: um uh, you know I'll, I'll give my best uh, synopsis of it but uh essentially you know that how these these craft are operating is by basically distorting uh gravity or space in front of them and the mm-hmm. craft is falling forward like it, it's an illusion of it going forward but it's really like creating yeah. this dip and it's just cruising with it like uh yeah, that totally a, makes sense right yeah um and it w- does that compare then i guess because we hear the we hear the words uh anti-gravity and then we hear electrogravitics are they the same are they
1: yeah here's the thing it's when you're there's this when whenever you're trying to transfer from a fluid dynamics view of everything to the other view of things because the way they're just it's hard to make the two talk and this is there's a lot of work that still would have to be done and that's part of actually been a lot of the conversation i've had specifically with uh with paul uh you know paul werbos i mentioned him he's he's very much into physics and he's like yeah that may be true, but we have to work with what we've got. You know, mm-hmm. what we've got is QFT and, and these things are working for us and the things that we're trying to do right now. And then my but then I'm saying, well, but there's things we want to do in the future that we're going to need to rewrite everything. And we, and yes, we do have to kind of rewrite our equations even though they represent the same thing, that all the dividing lines are screwed up. It's all it's all very different. Yeah. You have to come to the same answers, but through a different methodology. So it is hard to talk about these things uh, specifically because of the there is it is such a undeveloped area. It is an undeveloped area to rethink uh, things from this fluid dynamical um, regime. And so yes, the uh, the idea of electrogravitics uh, that would be related to you know, the, the fluid dynamic, uh, type of perspective on things from what I've said. Yes. And, but specifically when it comes, when it comes to altering gravity, then what you're talking about, uh, totally makes sense because, you know, I'm saying that the average vorticity of an area, in other words, that's, there's, it's going to be represented by lots of uh vortex filaments you know, also is another way to look at it but it's just how much it's churned up is what you would think of typically with just water how much is it churning up that's going to be uh, a, a measure of the way in which gravity works so if you can change that in some way then you're going to fall towards one or the other because right now the reason why we fall towards the earth is because it's an area that's more churned up or less churned up and so the the, the amount of churning actually changes. in in the ether theory version of it it changes the speed of light as well And that is the reason why time is different on Earth than it is in space, because there is more. When there's more vorticity, light has to actually travel further through all of the the Mm. alterations that are happening happening to it in various directions. And so, there is a the the speed of light being slower near the Earth is going to make everything slower. So, therefore, time is going to be happening slower near the Earth than it is up on a satellite, for instance. And so, these uh, these effects in time make sense in this fluid dynamical viewpoint but i have a mechanism through going through all the way back from 19th century physics you end up having a mechanism that explains it instead of simply the belief that it does and that's what we have right now with our idea with general relativity is just it does uh well it does because it bends space what hold on what uh you know because when you start asking well so so you know matter tells space how to bend and and space tells matter how you know you end up having these circular you know discussions it's like why, how, where? And here you have something that you can actually, you know, get your head around that will work mathematically. It will work with all of our modern physics, and that's the, that's the thing that's happening in the background of these, you know, like superfluid dynamical treatments of space time is what they called it. But going back to my paper, space time is not empirical science.
0: Yeah. So let's do this because we're we're nearing we're nearing the end here. I, I do want to make sure for the the people who've been. Very much researching uh, the UFO subject, I want to just uh, see if we can just hammer down some takeaways from this because I, it's very interesting with a lot of the UFO encounters that take place that uh, it's either completely silent mm-hmm. or there's some type of uh, electrostatic or like a coronal type discharge or a sound that hum a humming sound that like is, is heard, um, and that would seem to indicate a similar technology to what you're you're describing like that uh, that type of a a sound perhaps will be made i guess i'm curious uh is just how are these craft operating based on what you you believe based on based on ether physics and uh and your research and i don't know if you've had firsthand experience you know with with ufos if you've ever seen them yourself
1: no (laughs) that's the thing is i am not uh, an experiencer of any of those things unfortunately it's very mm. it's it, it, I, I feel a little sad about it i have it'll to tell happen. you it's, it's, it'll yeah, happen yeah it's a it's, it's it's kind of made me pretty sad I, I, gotta, I gotta tell the truth here i've never had and it, you know maybe it's uh maybe it's because i do have such a skeptical um uh feeling about things that uh you know maybe i have had some experiences that have not interpreted that way I, I did actually come to think of it i did um, I was at what's it called? Um, Contact in the desert, mm-hmm. and you know, and they just had the green, you know, uh, orbs just going, and I just like, well, that could be, you know, that could be drones, or you know, I guess I just didn't find it extremely compelling mm-hmm. because it's like, well, that could be explained in a lot of different ways, and I, I, I wish it was this was less explicable. You yeah, know, they even they even like you know, sh- shine the lasers at them, and they blinked back, and you know, and they definitely were not. They didn't they didn't have the normal. Um, you know, lights or anything like that. They were just green lights. And, you know, and if we, so that may have been something alien yeah. happening, but it was, it seems so, so commonplace that I, I interpreted it differently. Um, commonplace
0: now. One yeah. of these same things have been happening, you know, 50 100 years ago the same green lights in the sky doing the same thing there's no explanation now that's that's the hard part i think with with ufology today is for one the influx in drone technology Mm -hmm. and i see so many of these you know people send me these videos all the time like these fleets and i'm like do you not watch the olympic games (laughs) like i mean obviously that's you know what that is like that's the most i mean maybe it's not but that's definitely the most logical explanation for that especially because they're you know purple in color now like historically you know ufos are not that they're a white ball of light which makes sense given the the physics that would be behind it um and what's actually taking place around them it would you know show itself as that that's all we would really see um and so yeah it's just it's just muddied and already insanely muddy water um which makes you know finding these things that much more difficult but um i guess I'm, i'm curious on uh do you think do you think tesla his flying machines that he he talked about um and i believe one of his quotes too was that like I, "God, got was something in that book that he talked about I, I can't you know no man can speak of or i can't speak of like you know the thing that i i just discovered or whatever he, he alluded yeah. to something
1: that uh, he cracked around that time i think it's extremely likely um you know when i when i when I look at, like for instance, the rotating magnetic field was one of his first, you know, major um, uh, contributions to science. Was the idea that uh, that it that it rotates and it doesn't just go here, then here, then here. You know, there, there's something that happens in between. And so the, that's obviously the rotation of ether in, in his mind and. You know and then when you when you talk about ways of rotating the ether that immediately relates to you know he was talking about creating matter and things of that nature well what i'm talking about here if you understand exactly that what matter is is rotating ether at extremely high speeds woven into these little knots that are uh, basically they're maintained through a resonance pattern uh then you you what you understand that you can create matter you can do these things that are um, very uh, amazing, I suppose. And so, if if he understood these things, and perhaps we've been being watched for a long period of time, then it would make sense for an alien species to make contact with him, like mm-hmm. like he said. Uh, and and the the fact of the matter is, he what he's talking about goes completely right. right. Tesla
0: said he made contact with alien species.
1: Yes, he did. Really? Yeah. How
0: the fuck did know I know miss that?
1: that? Yeah, you know, he's, that was that was something, I mean, I, I haven't read it myself in a long time. But yeah, from what I understand, he specifically said, yeah, I have spoken with these people. I think he's, he may have specified Mars even. Uh, and so, yeah, no, he, he definitely claimed alien contact. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. It was, yeah. I, unless someone was lying to me. There's always a possibility yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, well, that I'm it's definitely been a while li- since I read it. So. I, wish, I
0: wish I had a Jamie. But Jamie, pull that up. Exactly. Jamie, <laughs> yeah, pull Jamie up. Yeah, Jamie, pull that up <laughs> one day. You're right. His name will be Jaime, though, not Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your thoughts, then, as it pertains to that? If that's the formation uh, within ether of, of matter, of how matter would be formed, what is antimatter, then, as it would be explained by the ether?
1: Okay. Well, um the idea that i've been giving here is based upon um actually cavitation being uh the base of particles so what cavitation is if you've ever um it's a great little thing to look up online and that is um probably the probably the best way to first talk about it is if you've seen a gunshot underwater Mm. and you'll see the 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 um there's a bubble that opens up behind the 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 gunshot and then Collapses mm-hmm. And if you watch very closely, most of those films, will actually, you'll see light given off by it. That's not a film artifact. It's something called sonoluminescence. And that is that it changes the mechanical energy into a different kind of energy, light. Uh, so the mechanical energy, as it's ripped open and then slams back together, turns into light. And that's something that they believe is, um, you know caused by fusion fusion in other words like there's actually fusion occurring in these tiny tiny places there's a there's some controversy about whether or not it reaches temperatures uh, that uh are actually fusion but there's been some research that says yes it absolutely is creating fusion and that's how it's giving off light so that's a um so the basis of particles um would be that there is the speeds at which you can Rotate something like, you know, that, that if you rotate your coffee fast enough, there's a hole that ends mm-hmm. up in it. Right. So a way in which you could rip open the ether so that there is nothing in there would be through rotation, but not just rotation. Because here's the thing. Uh, what is a wave? You know, a wave compresses uh, is a compression or a rarefaction, or some sort of adjustment of the medium to allow uh, it to to deal with stresses. So something is stressed away from equilibrium and then it tries to snap back into it and it goes and because there's a lag time it goes and that's how waves work is it's a disturbance from equilibrium um but there's a point at which it, it it's elasticity is is broken and that's how you end up opening these holes and so this happens with water uh it happens and and you can do this with rotation but the point is that a wave interacting with a vortex um will cause it to rotate faster. You can pump, mm. you know, waves pump vortices and vortices give off waves. As, as uh, you know, there's a, there's something called wave vortex duality. And like I said, I can get into the technicals of this, but we're going to try to yeah, stay topical. Yeah, we'll stay topical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. stay topical here. Uh, stay macro. Right, right. Yeah. So the, the point here is that when the uh when waves are interacting with the vortices that are already there it can spin them up to rip them open and that can be where you have the appearance of particles and then there would be different ways in which this could occur now waves going in a straight line are one thing and and they're going they're going across so you've got all these threads right and then the wave goes across them and then the 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 particle is kind of appearing on the on the threads of vortices that are that are uh, there in the ether but then that, that's that's a wave going across just ambient vortices what about matter well matter would be that there is something bouncing in place there's there's a wave that turns back in against itself and then the knot vortex and this is something that kelvin uh developed is the the vortex atom theory and uh and, and it's uh it's uh, it's really amazing, but anyway, so so as the as the waves are going across these vortices, what's happening is it's ripping open the 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 vortex that's there into this cavitation. That's how we have the appearance of what what we would think of as a particle like an electron, and so so that would be um, whenever you're talking about antimatter generally what's occurring whenever they're talking about things is they're using abstractions that are many layers deep of abstraction so like there's something called a phonon where um it, it's, if it's a way
0: too deep if i if i ask a question that is is going to go beyond layers <laughs> uh i didn't know if it was going to be something that would be more simple yeah. um if uh if you can if it requires a lot,
1: I'll try to. the The point, I guess. Let's see. Let's how do we how do we reel this in? Um, the idea. What, what did you ask specifically?
0: I said, "How would I mean, given uh, ether? Oh, antimatter. Uh, antimatter.
1: The point is that there are abstractions people make for things. You know, there's there, there's thirty thousand gallons in that pool. What's a gallon? It's a arbitrary unit you picked to divide things up into. Mm-hmm. That's going to, that happens in physics a lot where we have these arbitrary units that we divided things up into and they're not really necessarily real divisions. Yeah. They're just a good they just are related to something that's useful in some way. Mm. And when they're and sometimes we think of them as real because they're related to something useful. Like the temperature between, you know, uh, freezing and boiling in a certain number of atoms that we pick out. If you you know, it it'll have an effect that temperature you can give it a label but it's not it doesn't really exist on it's on any more than a wave out there in the ocean exists without the water mm. I mean, but you can think of it you can accidentally mm. in physics when you start doing all these abstractions you can just like a person can think of a wave as a real individual entity without before they go oh wait a minute it wouldn't even be there without the water that happens when you're trying to deal with physics you these super complex things you can lose track of what's real and what's virtual And they even call things virtual particles a lot of times. And so whenever you're talking about something like antimatter, sometimes what they're talking about are these effects. Like, you know, if you're talking about quarks, for instance, that you're going to be talking about an abstraction that has to do with a useful way of dividing up the energy and the way that it, you know, looks in this specific model that descends from all of this, you know, it's it's a way of looking at it and dividing it up. And so Mm -hmm. that is the challenge. And that's the problem, actually, with Ether. There is a problem with Ether theory. That is that we have to... We have to go back down some of these roads that we haven't... We've developed these models that are these weird abstractions that have gotten us all into all this... So many different problems in physics right now. Mm. I don't even want to get into all of them. You could look it up. There's a million different problems in physics right now. But we have something that works for a lot of stuff. And so it's kind of like... The Windows operating system is a great big pile of shit, okay? But the thing is, imagine trying to redevelop it from scratch... Yeah. And trying to get that out to everybody who's using it in the world. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, that would take like, like the government would have to mandate that we're, we're redoing Windows. They have to st- stay with the system that they've got kind of. And so they're locked into a piece of shit. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it gets worse every year. Yeah. But
1: so that's, that's kind of where we're at with physics is that the, here, this would be really, this would be super useful, completely change the way that everything works. But who's going to do all that work that we have to do of the redevelopment and deploy it out to the people who are making objects and and that is actually the real problem with with ether physics is that there's a lot of work.
0: Okay, I ask very loaded questions. Um, let's do this. We we are at the at the end now, and I want to make sure we're able to get this in one episode. So, what is uh, what I would love to do uh, is if you could oh. then basically. As a little sound bite that we could use uh, for the end, a little a little segment to uh, to share with the world. Explain ether why it's important, why you think it's you know it, it is the answer, and uh, and explain a little bit of just you know briefly just recap you know why you wrote the book, the paper you write, and just give a brief little five five ten minute synopsis of of all of this and, and what the real takeaway is for everybody as it pertains to, to the ether, your work and, and the things that you believe it's ultimately going to lead to and and can better explain and and whatever the case may be, whatever it is you think is most, the most important takeaway for the audience in a digestible way.
1: All right. Let's see if I can do this, man. You, you, you (laughs) you set me up, man. Uh All right. Um, the, the ether is an alternative method of viewing modern physics that opens the door to a bridge between science and spirituality that allows us for to come to new understandings that would revolutionize our method of dealing with energy and dealing with energy is the big question, the big problem that we're facing, that we have war, that we have all of this, um, inequality, all of those things relate to something that is also related to spirituality. And so here you have a single solution that we can pursue if we're willing to put the work in, and it could lead us to a whole new place in the way that we conceive of ourselves, the way that we conceive of reality and our place in it and how we develop our own future. It's basically the key to the freedom of mankind.
0: Well, um, you know, I, I could not agree more. I say it all the time that the real breakthrough uh, lies in the marrying of, of science and, and spirituality. Uh, that is what Tesla knew. I mean, I think that's even what Hitler knew, because he talked about it back then, too. Like, that was, I mean, it was the mixing of those things, uh, you know, within the occult. Yeah, they wanted control. Yeah, yeah. Through, through far more nefarious ends. But nonetheless, that understanding, look what was achieved. Look at, I mean, uh, that was one little country that nearly took over the world. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Like, and so, uh, but that therein, like, science has become dogmatic. Um, and, and until we, you know, really start to stretch and go outside into these these realms that were formerly, I mean, it, it wasn't anything before. It wasn't relegated to a fringe. It was just yeah. pure exploration. Pure, and, yeah. and
1: that was just the science. Yeah. Period. It was yeah. absolutely the accepted science. Yeah.
0: And what it should have been. And it's mm-hmm. changed. And uh, and and therein I think lies the mysteries and the, the answers that we, we seek. Uh but we can't abandon one for the other. We can't go all in on one uh or all into the other. It's a marriage symbiosis. There there we go again. There's a full circle. It, it comes back to that. So what is what is gonna be or what is in the book? Um obviously it's a, you know, some months out, but uh uh what what is the, the main the main takeaway from the book, the point of the book, what is it you're you're conveying within this?
1: Uh, there is a lot of um, pushback against this idea. Tremendous amount. I've been fighting it for uh, at least 15 years. It's, I've, I've, been, um, I've been in it for roughly 20 years. And, and, and just been, it's been such a huge struggle that I've finally found a place where I have I've been fighting with physicists. I've been fighting with, with people for long enough that now there is this opening where people are going, wait a minute, maybe, wait a minute, hold on. And so what this book is about is providing that basis. And I'm going to try to do it in a way that absolutely anybody can understand it down because I I present things at a high school level. That's what I try to always do is, is make sure that it is something that anyone can understand because I go into great detail to explain it in a simple fashion. And what this is for is making it where there's so many people who know and not just know it, but they understand it down to their bones. They can explain it to anybody. And then they, and then to show them these are the places you can point to that are irrefutable. These are the places you can point to where no one argues that this is the peer-reviewed evidence. This is the science. This is the history. And you can't go against it because it's right there where anybody can access it. And that's what this book is about, is to try to put that out there in a way that basically makes makes it where it can no longer be denied Hmm. you can't keep denying it the truth can't be denied because it's too obvious it's too easy easily understood once you put it all together and put the evidence together and that's what this has been about plus some storyline to try to keep it from being dry and little little stories and anecdotes yes. and things like very that. very helpful yeah. yeah if it gets oh, too and I- the q a section this, that's a huge portion of it there's a lot a lot of uh questions and answers that i've been uh developing through other other places and i'm going to be putting that in there because it actually handles a lot of questions that people automatically have and uh, it was actually through q and a uh, Q&A site online that I've been using for a long period of time, and i'm going to port that over into the book as well. oh nice yeah
0: lastly actually I do have a bonus thing, and then we'll we'll take it home. The paper you're writing right now
1: yes that is uh, um, is minkowski space time or let have to i I'll, I'll, I'll give you the title, but I think it's right now it's is, is Minkowski space time. Uh, pseudoscience is is the paper that I'm writing, and the idea here is to be clickbaity for people who are physicists, mm-hmm. and uh, and the first thing they're going to want to do is, is is punch me in the face. Yep. You know that's that's the whole, yep. whole goal, and uh, and because what I'm going to do and, and I have done is pour over the history of the development of electromagnetism from the the fathers of electromagnetism and show them exactly where and when, each of them spoke about all of these topics about the development of special relativity. Because that is where everyone says that ether was thrown away, and it's not. And so basically, in this one paper, I'm showing for, for historians, and for specifically historians of physics, these are the people that talked about it, this is where they talked about it, this is when they talked about it, this is how what they said, and this is how you can understand it at a high school level. Because the problem is, physicists sometimes I, I Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm presenting it as a tool for teaching, but the truth of the matter is people who are academics sometimes don't realize they take things on faith, and they don't recognize how much they're taking on faith, and they don't want to mm. really address that. So mm. part of this paper is to ad- to address it from a high school level here's what you haven't been taught because they haven't been taught the alternative interpretation of special relativity that was absolutely undeniably there they nobody knows about this it's so weird it is it is really weird yeah
0: yeah (laughs) very weird and we we'll, we'll leave the speculation aside for why that is um okay this has been Incredible man, first and foremost. Uh, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge, and uh, and I cannot commend you and appreciate you enough for sticking your neck out and, and doing this for such a long period of time and uh, sending you nothing but uh, good vibes that this all blows up huge in your favor and uh, and you can <laughs> you can be, <laughs> you, yeah, set up in your face, um, uh, so that you can ultimately be a catalyst for uh, for change, uh, ultimately for the. The better and, and the enlightenment of uh, of, our, of our species. Um, I want uh, you gave a great a great story or analogy, if you will, uh, in one of your videos that I watched uh, a few weeks back when we first talked about doing this interview, and uh, and I think you were essentially poking holes in in physics, based on or poking holes in math based on like the physics of math, and it's merely interpretations, and you can make math do. Kind of what you want it to do to prove a particular point in, in many regards. I, I, I might be butchering that. You can clarify it. No. But um, but you gave this analogy of the hotel, the hotel room, <laughs> um, and it, it. I was like, oh shit, that's that's crazy. It blew my mind when I saw. it. I was like, whoa, what? And I rewound it and I like, watched it again. I was like, huh? And I was like, crunching the numbers in my head, and I'm like. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was amazing. And so I think it's, uh, briefly describe what that is, why that is, and then give the, give the story uh, so that people can digest that as the final point.
1: All right. So let's see if I can, um, if I can remember it, I, I generally write that down. So the, it's called the, um, uh, the, the three men in the hotel room. And, and the point of it is, is that I can lay out an explanation of math. Uh, that seems utterly rigorous and undeniable, but it is nonsensical because I haven't mapped the math to reality properly, and I can trick you into doing the exact same thing very easily. Mm-hmm. And and this could happen. Here's the thing: if it can happen in something so simple as this little thing, mm-hmm. imagine how easy it is for it to happen in something much more complex like yeah. relativity. Yep. And that's my point. That's the the whole point of all of it is this this idea that you can that that math by itself proves nothing. You have to connect this representative language to what it represents in a way that makes sense properly, that it really does represent it. And that's that cognitive ability that is beyond a computer. It's beyond a calculator. It's beyond just doing math. There's a type of intelligence that is superior to mathematical calculation. Mm. Far superior. Mm -hmm. It's what separates, right now, any computer out there can memorize and regurgitate far better than any of us can. Can calculate far, far, far beyond any of us. Is it intelligent? Do we base our idea of intelligence on calculation ability? answer of course is no mm-hmm. so there is some other ability and that's what i'm talking about here and, and we've kind of forgotten that in certain cases so let's see if i can remember the the it's it's basically it's a cute little riddle and mm-hmm. that's all it is it's so simple um but, but but you can screw it up and i hope i don't screw up the, the punchline um uh,
0: but w- worst case scenario uh, i'll i'll splice your thing and i'll yes. throw it at the end of this
1: okay good good so so the idea is there's uh, three men walk into a hotel room uh, walk into a hotel to get a hotel room and they, um, they're told it's, it's $30. And so they, they, uh, they each pay $10 and they go up to their, to their room. And then the, uh, the, the bell boy, uh, or the, 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 hotel manager goes, Oh man, I just remembered that uh, that's, that's, they're supposed to get a $5 discount. And so he's like, here, quick, get, get, take this up to them and give them the refund, give them the $5 and uh and so the the bellboy takes the uh the five dollars up there's he's like you know how am i going to split this up i you know it's got there's, there's five dollars there's three of them it's like are they really going to know I just, i'll just give them a dollar each i'll just keep the two myself so they, they uh he takes it and gives them a dollar uh, each and um so each of them has uh paid uh nine dollars um plus the the two the. um the bellboy cap. So that's three times nine is twenty-seven plus the two. 27, 29, Where would the other dollar go?
2: Mm.
1: It's there in mathematical truth. It's mathematical facts. We've we've discovered the quantum dollar. Yeah. It magically disappears when bellboys touch it. Yeah, <laughs> and then, and that's the thing is there's it's just I've 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 formulated the understanding of the map between the math and reality in a way that is misleading. Yeah. And this can easily happen. It's very easy to do that. And, it's, and the math doesn't prove it. I can just yell at you that it's is, um, 27 plus, you know, 3 times nine, twenty seven. Huh? Huh? Yeah. yeah, it is, isn't it? It's yeah. right. It's mathematical fact. is 2 plus 27, 29? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Well, it's, uh, Well, there you go. It's quantum dollar. It's missing. It proved it mathematically. Yeah. It proved Jack. Yeah. It proved a damn thing because I did my math wrong. How do, does one know if the math is done wrong? You have to do what they call hand waving, hand waving, and what they mean by that is doing the intelligent thing, which is to examine the way that one thing maps to the other, yeah. and that and that's part of the problem of what was called shut up and calculate. It's and it's something a lot of people have, have complained about, and when it comes to mathematical physics for many many years, it's what uh, oh. Tesla's quote there's a there's a quote by Tesla specifically about this problem in particular let me see if I can grab it real quick I well, bet well, it he's I
0: looking that up I'm just going to reiterate for the audience in case that that you know slipped really quick the math of that $30 hotel room three guys they each pay $10 they go up to their hotel room the manager realizes he overcharged them he gives the bellhop $5 here this is a refund $5 go up and give it to him the bellhop goes well, how am I going to divide $5 between three guys? You know what? I'm just going to keep two of the dollars and I'm going to give them each one back. How about that? That, that then they won't even know. So then he gives them each, uh, their, their dollar back, which means that they each paid only $9 for the hotel room and he kept two. And so if you add that up, that is, you know, three times nine, 27 plus two, that's $29. What well, How is that possible? It was $30. It's a a quantum dollar, the the mysterious dollar. Uh, Very interesting. The framing of,
1: you know, of the math. And it's... A very great example. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's actually a, a slightly difficult to to explain well. I've forgotten that I mean, okay, it's, it's actually fairly easy if I can remember the explanation. But remembering the explanation for some reason is, is a little difficult because uh, it's trying to convey the understanding of what we did wrong there and why we did it wrong. Yeah, uh, I can put I can leave, put
0: it, I'll put it in the in the YouTube comments or, or the let's I'll... leave
1: it for everybody else because that's fun to figure out. It's like yeah. wait a minute, what did I do wrong? How did I get fooled? Yeah, uh, and yeah. because that is an exercise I think is valuable for people to. understand that, you know, when people say, it's in the math, it's in the math, that they're full of it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So um, this is a quote from Tesla. Uh, Today's scientists have substituted mathematics for experiments, and they wander off through equation after equation and eventually build a structure which has no relation to reality. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, there it all is the back then. Yep. And so that, that was a great little uh, quote of his as well. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really what it comes down to is there yeah. is indifference in interpretation. And that's what I'm trying to give. And, and, maybe maybe somebody you know purposefully created this little um debacle because it was an opportunity i don't know because it is weird that that einstein said that there's space without ether is unthinkable he said that he he gave an entire speech that comes down to that and then you know over and over said you know uh we have to abandon constancy constancy only exists in a a, it doesn't exist in our universe he basically says that i've got these quotes we can put up there And, and then why are we saying that Einstein got rid of the ether? Why are yeah. we saying constancy is is yeah. a, you know the, the the truth of the reality? Yeah. It's it's yeah. a little weird when you yeah. can find the, the history and I can show it to people pretty easily that there's this alternative explanation that makes everything work, makes yeah. everything fit, and also allows for spirituality through the through information theory. Ooh, it's hard not to think that there might be a conspiracy there. It's hard. It's time hard. Not, to. It's, I, I try to suspend, but you know, and it
0: walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. <laughs> it's a motherfucking duck. Well, uh, Shiva. Great, great time, man. I yeah. really, I really do appreciate you, uh, coming, coming all the way down from Sacktown yeah. uh, to, <laughs> to do this, uh, in studio is the first actual in studio, uh, podcast interview. Um, you, you said so much today that I mean it's it's a lot for even me to process. I know it's going to probably be a lot for people at home to process. But uh, if you're looking to dive deeper, uh, definitely go check out his YouTube channel, his Instagram, Steampunk Physics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dive in. Uh dive into what he's talking about. And if you're if you're, you know, a physicist yourself, then you can obviously see the other videos of him actually mm-hmm. diving into the real details.
1: Suspend your anger. Yes. I have a point and I know you don't like the things you call wooish. That's a problem.
0: Yes. Uh and we'll definitely be looking forward to uh to the book um when that comes out as well as to uh the paper. paper you're currently I'm gonna try working to get on. this
1: paper out really fast before you even get the uh, the video out. Yeah. Like I said. This, this paper, well, it, it is a, lot, a good bit of work still to find the, the history. But this paper, I think, is really, it's really laying it out where it's just undeniable that, you, that they have to say Minkowski space-time is pseudoscience. Yeah. I mean, it, historically, you, it is inescapable that here it is, this, this idea that is supposedly kind of a pillar of science, that you have to say, according to the current uh, consensus— that it's pseudoscience. That's a big... It's a big claim. Yeah, that's a big it's a big level a big claim.
0: Right <laughs> um, Shiva Meucci. 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 Ooh, yeah, like my, uh,
1: my grandfather's name was Guglielmo Giovanni Michele Meucci. <laughs> I like that a lot. This, this is easier. I, and I'm still even fucking that up. One last thing I, I forgot to tell you. So the Michelson-Morley <laughs> experiment was funded by Alexander Graham Bell my uh, like great 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 grandfather is Antonio Meucci, the true inventor of the telephone he had a uh, a uh, a steam like boat or whatever explode nearly kill him. He had his patents sold to uh to want to gray i think and and Bell got the uh, the working model and then they fought over it as soon as his caveat w- uh, ran out but he 's been recognized as the true inventor of the telephone and and so there 's this weird connection between the Michelson Morley experiment and everything I'm doing is almost like a you know um, I don't know it's almost like destiny I figured, found that out the other day I've got all these things that, that show that, that Bell was who funded the Michelson Morley experiment so a neat little you there
0: little you go there. that's a tie-in enough I've ever heard one. Shiva Mayochi
1: pleasure. Absolutely. Thank nice. you so much.
0: Make sure you check nice him lot. out, follow him on Instagram, check out his YouTube videos and, uh, and keep up. And when this bad boy comes oh, out, God. make sure you pick up a copy. Um, and, uh, and maybe we'll be able to do this again in the future. Um, after that, uh, when, uh, when you've flipped science and physics on its okay. head. And pissed off enough people that, uh, you know, hey, any publicity is good publicity, right? Exactly. Uh, get, get the I'm conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah. come on, bring uh, 30, it,
2: bring it. <laughs> whatever
0: whatever uh, keeps, uh, you know, gets the conversation going, uh, ultimately, uh, to where it should be. And so I uh, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you for coming in and all the research that you've done.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I, I loved your, your show. I love everything. That's why I was like, man, this guy, he is on the same track as me, man. I could tell you have this... A lust for the truth, truth. and reality, yeah. and just like a, a lust for life, and there's just, and I've noticed that it seems to kind of there there is this group of people t- tending to swirl around you as well, and, I, yeah. and I, I feel like you're in the right place, man. And I yeah. I, I love what you're doing.
0: Appreciate I appreciate it, man. Absolutely love it. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's no accident. None of this is, and uh and I'm grateful for you to be lucky number three. Uh, a little, right. little little tesla lucky numbers it all comes down 369, <laughs> three, damn you fine all right i'm done <laughs> have a good night everybody thank you again Shuba. thank you good night oh wait shit oh no with that being said i'm nate it's late let's walk oh, i keep fucking
1: that up <laughs>
0: that's it we're gone now <laughs> oh hey you made it all the way to the end me too I hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, please make sure that you like subscribe, comment, share with all of your friends across every social media platform. Uh, and then if you have time, go to natenighttalks.com and, uh, and join the NNT community and research database. If, if you have time and, and and the resources and, and want to support what I'm, what I'm doing here.